Do you want to capture meaningful conversations that you care about? Spotify for Podcasters allows you to make a podcast super effortlessly, distribute it automatically everywhere, completely free, and even earn money doing it. Did I say free while making money? What happened to capitalism? Use your phone or computer, hit press record, upload, and start creating today. You can also monetize your podcast super effortlessly through features like ads and subscriptions through the platform. If you have been following the Discover More journey, you know that I've been using Spotify for Podcasters since 2020. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters. Spotify.com slash podcasters to start creating immediately. You were talking about like, hey, would you work out maybe because you were fat before. I was so <laughs> chubby. I was so chubby that the other kids, that the girls at PE class, I didn't realize I was chubby. I'm, kids are b- incredible. When I think back to how I felt as a kid, I didn't even know I was chubby. I remember just this one kid named Jack. He was from England, blue eyes, blonde hair. He took his shirt off, I guess, and he had abs. I was like, cool, me too. So I took my shirt off and I'm running <laughs> I'm running next to Jack. And the girls start ch- chanting, Jack has abs, Ben has flabs. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I tell that story to people and they're like, that didn't happen. I'm like, no, I really wish it didn't happen. Uh, it's probably why I go so hard in the gym now. Uh, and why most of these photos I have now are me with like a purple jacket on, no shirt. Cause I'm just like, Oh, I, I work out. Um, so it's my inner child. And me just like, Hey, Hey, where's Jack now? Anyways. It's so Welcome to DMP. Discover more podcast is a community where we strive to discover more about life through insightful and nuanced conversations with fellow students of life. Discover More is a sanctuary for seekers of curiosity and discomfort. Congratulations on choosing curiosity over complacency this week. This is your host, Benoit Kim. Let's get this started. The guest of honor this week is Benjamin Carter at Carter Benjamin. Ben is a Caribbean-American singer-songwriter, artist, father, and a fellow student of life. He currently has over 31,000 monthly listeners on Spotify alone, not to mention his music spans across all platforms. Ben's music is groovy, thought-provoking, and uniquely vulnerable. He seeks to take everyone's walls down, including his very own. As he puts it, Caribbean raised me, but DMV made me. When I first came across Ben's music, After meeting him working out five in the morning, I was a bit confused by his genre because of its uniqueness and its ability to fight against the powerful but repetitive currents of mainstream music. This excerpt from his website at carterbenjamin.com best describes his music style. Benjamin uses music to tell stories of heartache, love, addiction, gentrification, and racism. He does so in hopes of developing artists of the next generation to do the same. He's a musician and entrepreneur fueled by relentless enthusiasm and passion with sights set on advocating for the mental, physical, and spiritual health through the undeniable power of music. Now just to name a few of his mile-long recognitions. He has performed at the legendary venue 930 Club in DC and released his 2018 single Cosmic produced by a well-known producer Andy Seltzer through a collaboration with Warner Music Group and Distribution. Ben's 2020 single Fragile and 2021 single Psycho, which is my personal favorite, 
have both been featured on New Music Friday and NPR Radio Play. Oh, did I also mention he's a beast in the gym? You can find all things Benjamin Carter on social media handle at Carter Benjamin and his website, carterbenjamin.com. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thank you for having me, dude. Yeah, this is, this is, it's going to be fun. So through our first encounter in the gym, our friendship has quite blossomed. And I came across you as a musician, of course, and of course, at first as a beast in the gym, as I alluded to, <laughs> but I realized you had so many intersecting interests and passion from books, neurobiology, mindset, personal development, creative. And what I mean by that is your titles of your songs, Cosmic, mm. Fragile, Psycho, Time Again, and your upcoming single, Lost Control, all seem to suggest some sort of a theme of life and in life. How do you approach yeah. naming your titles and what's the creative process behind them? It's a great question. I think the biggest thing is titles really kind of come to me first. Like fragile is the best example I have for this. I wrote down on a note in like 2016 on my phone. Uh, and at the time I wasn't really doing music, but I was, I've always been writing music, but I just wasn't doing the whole like thing that I'm doing now. And I remember I was still in, I was just finishing college. Uh, and I remember the walk from my house that I was living at to the campus. And I remember just being on my phone and singing some weird melody about being fragile and going to break. And I was just going through a breakup with my now wife. Uh, we were, we had broken up and I just knew I wanted to write a song called fragile, but I didn't really know what to say. Um, and so I kind of wrote some lyrics down, whatever, never touched it again. Uh, in DC in 2018, like I kind of started again, but I just didn't really feel it. By 2019, I'm sitting there in the studio session with a great producer, this studio right here. This used to be his studio. Met him, great artist, his name's Tim Atlas, um, and he's a fantastic producer. And we got together and we just start working. And I say the line in there, shoot my shot in case I get it. Fragile if I don't, bet you that I can't forget it. And as soon as I was able to finally get the word fragile, I was like, this is fragile. This is the idea I was sitting on for fucking like four years uh, that I couldn't figure out what I wanted to say, but I finally was able to like say it. And it was a feeling of knowing like, okay, we, we got it. But most songs I come up with, they usually start from a word. They usually are like, it's like one word or one phrase and it flows from that phrase for me. Uh, stream of consciousness uh, and very much like I'll come up with the phrase and then I'll start from verse one and some people really like to focus on a chorus first and then build around a chorus uh i like doing that in studios with people because it's like it challenges me but for the most part i'm a very much like that's my phrase now let's write an entire thing and work my way to the chorus and it's like it really is me telling the story so if that makes sense it's like I'm, i'll say how i feel in a verse and then i'll get to the chorus, and now finally i'm now getting the chance to speak the story and now so i'll write very linear like here's the phrase Here's the title. Don't let me go. I'm so sad. I hate being alone. Whatever that is. And then I will write a whole song based on that feeling that I felt with that phrase or that word. Cosmic was similar as I just was sitting outside and I was told myself, I got to write a song because I had only had one song out. Got to write a song today. And I was getting really good at writing songs on walks because I would have to walk everywhere in DC. So then I went for a walk. Dude. I remember sitting down at the wharf in Washington, D.C., staring at the anthem. And I was like, one day I'll play there. And I was just staring at it. I got to figure out how to do a song. And I was like, I know cosmic, cosmic satisfaction. Cos cosmic satisfaction always bring a new mystery. And I just wrote it down. I was like, 
cosmic satisfaction constant and then i just kept going and going and going from there and i'm singing into a voice note on my phone because i didn't even have a guitar with me i didn't have anything with me and i'm standing out on a sunday with all these people out there but i'm like i gotta record this and two months later i got to record it at warner which was also how is this happening and i had just started i was two months into doing it. so that was really cool yeah it's like the power of cosmos which is very mm. meta and very symbolic in nature because when you wrote the song of cosmic cosmic satisfactions cosmic significance and then yeah. the stars begin to align and you start to do feel the cosmic alignments through performing at the legendary club without having any released singles at the time which is bonkers yeah it was crazy it was literally something i have to fight against actually and then one thing i, I really try to get to a lot of artists and younger artists and younger creatives who i'm with is i'm like the idea of like hey this is crazy and it feels crazy because it is a dream come true for you what i had to realize is it wasn't a dream come true for someone else because i played it and there was some guy some local guy in dc who had 9 30 club not a packed out venue wasn't crazy my i didn't headline everything in me afterwards was like oh this wasn't a dream come true you're just a stupid kid but it's like no 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 like two three months ago i wasn't specific enough i will say you know if we're gonna talk like manifestation all that stuff two three months before i was at 9 30 club watching a band play and i had no songs recorded i had nothing at that point and i'm sitting there watching them going one day i'll play here and i just felt incredible and i was like one day it's gonna happen three months later it's happening i don't even have music out yet I now look back on it and I'm like, man, I have compassion on my four years ago self, you know, like he didn't know any better, but I wish I could just like help that version of me just be like, dude, stay here, stay grateful. This is beautiful. Just cause someone else is like, well, you didn't headline. Well, it's not yours. Well, you're not really that big of a deal. Like, dude, you got to play 930. Club. That's all you wanted. That's all I cared about at the time. Um, and so it was super, the moment was super special from me and I've learned along the way, let it be special for you. Let what God is doing be special for you. And don't look for affirmation for other people to have the same feeling towards your story because they're not living your story. So they might just be like, that's cool. You know what I mean? They like, and I was looking for people to be like, oh my God, maybe it's not cool, uh, but it was so cool. And I look back now, I'm like, I know music out and I'm playing this thing. and. It was beautiful. It was so much fun. Um, but I agree with you. Yeah, the cosmos, cosmic satisfaction. I didn't even know what the word meant at the time. Like the phrase cosmic satisfaction wasn't very heady. I just kind of like, again, sometimes stream of consciousness and I just will write and write and write. Sometimes that leads me to nothing. Sometimes it leads me to having a song that I really care about. But for me, it's all about the importance of actually like putting it to paper, saying it out loud, and then looking at it afterwards and then deciding where should this go. It's very interesting because from what you said with your elegant story, I sense a lot about a thread of vulnerability, fragile, cosmic satisfactions. What am I doing with my life? We're just floating stardust in this space. However, we are came here with a purpose right? or fragile. I went through a most recent heartbreak. Heartbreak is one of the most tragic and emotionally fraught things you can experience. I will know as a clinician at the same time, without you being sulking in it, you lean into your creative process and you sort of just sprout it out. You almost did a verbal journaling, detoxing and downloading all these thoughts from your headspace into paper, pen to paper or mouth to voice memo in your case. 
How do you view vulnerability and why do you think it's so important for especially young men these days? I was thinking about this the other day and I was like, man, I think I'm going to tell people I'm the, I'm going to brand myself from now on as the black male, uh, Brene Brown. <laughs> I think she's fantastic. My wife's obsessed with her. She's the one who really got me like listening to Brene and I'll listen to a couple of podcasts with my wife. Yes. But Brene's obsession with shame and vulnerability is like my obsession with it is that I lived it in not being vulnerable, you know, but like that shame, that guilt, all of that stuff it all comes out of my songs um, a lot from like even bad habits to everything else. I think that it's really, really important. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian. And one of my, one of the things I remember that my, my pastor, you told me, you know, try to like find like a resolution, maybe like at the end of it or da 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 and everything's bad, but everything's going to be okay, you know, or something. And I just kind of was like, no, I'm not going to do that because I, when I read Psalms, you know, the Psalms are, for those who don't know, it's it's this book of the Bible with all these tiny little like poems and songs and these things of this person singing songs about what's going on around them, but their relationship with God. And some of them are not like, God's awesome. Life's so cool. Some of them are, why have you forsaken me? I feel like dust. I feel like dirt. I'm being trampled on. You're not here next chapter god i'm so grateful that you're so it's like whoa what the <laughs> like if you choose the wrong day and be like i'm just gonna read a psalm today <laughs> you just read that one you're like i'm gonna read two psalms today because what the heck that just ruined my day <laughs> that feeling where it's like i now in some songs you know and father father prayers a single that i put out a while ago which was something i wrote in the pandemic honestly i put no effort in you know really promoting it none of that but i had a great friend um I'm a great mutual friend of ours, Jakati. He did the artwork for it for me. And it's it's a special song, but it wasn't a song that I was like really trying to like promote, put on project, but I did need to get out. I just was like, this, these lyrics matter to me. The chorus being, I'm so close. Uh, I know you'll never leave me, but this shit's too hard. Well. You know, and if you're in the Christian space and you hear somebody like cuss talking to God in a prayer, you know, that could throw you off, you know, but for, me it's like dude that's how i was feeling so it's just called father of prayer but i just poor i was sitting there on the guitar beginning of pandemic lost my job pandemic you know it, ahmaud arbery's already been killed george floyd was about to be murdered brianna taylor has been shot and killed i'm sitting there you know playing guitar and thinking about that losing my job and then having a baby my first kid in two months so i'm kind of like at this really dark place how what am i supposed to do uh, and the world seems really grim and I'm just sitting in a room and all I can see is I'm so close. I know you'll never leave me, but this shit's so hard alone. It's really, for me, it's about connecting people's best songs. I think sometimes when we try to, there is a method to the madness, but for me, it's all now I look at the method in retrospect and I can learn from myself, you know, and I've learned from myself and my songs that I've written in the past, how to get to that place where I'm able to say something that we all feel. Uh, and try to sonically deliver it in a way that makes everyone be able to relate to it, you know, or as many people as I can be able to relate to it and get the message. There's a method to that, but I don't really think about that when I'm writing it. When I'm writing it, it's get the words out that you feel in this moment, get the phrases out that you feel in this moment. And then can we tweak sonically? Can we tweak melody? Can we, sure, like, let's figure that out to dress it up in a way that like is easily receptive maybe, or if it's not supposed to be easily receptive, then let's do that too. You know, like maybe the chords are really dissonant and it's really like, Ugh, I don't want to sit in this, but it 
might actually show what's going on lyrically. And I think that's the fun part of art is like being able to take these different elements and mix them together that don't seem to go together and put them together and be like, ah, I feel something. So I think vulner all that to say with shame and vulnerability to me, it's about being able to get to that place, say that thing, you know, just get out of your comfort zone in your house, say that thing that you really authentically feel. That was a long winded answer to talk about shame, but hopefully that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, clinically, of course, like shame is a, it's a long emotion and there's definitely a lot of complexity to that. And yeah, I just want to recognize because having someone like you from your background, from your community, representing and embodying vulnerability and mental health and the important non-negotiable notion that you have to bet on yourself in order for the cosmos or the universe or God to do their jobs, to propel you forward. But you got to take the initiative. But having someone like you and the reason why I believe in the avenue of podcasting so much, especially the ethos of discover more, is how can we discover more about life when we don't talk to each other, right? This yeah. humanity is comprised of all these individuals and I think it's an analogy by my great friend and co-founder of the podcast, Aiden. He talks about the poor analogy to view through the world through is the more pieces of the puzzle that you have, the wider the portal becomes. And the more comprehensive mm -hmm. it becomes, the more benefits it brings to you, more perspective, more experiences, more lanes of truth, etc. But I do think you have to be vulnerable and humble yeah. to receive those lessons, to receive those signs. Uh, and in terms of vulnerability, I just want to double click on this real quick. And I would love for you to share this impactful moment that you had when your songs first got onto the new music Friday around the U S and around the world after the atrocity yeah. of George Floyd. And yeah, you gloss over so many intricate details and the long winded tangent you just went through, but it's my job to dissect them one by one. Yeah. So let's yeah, yeah. ride the vulnerability train for a little bit longer. And yeah. just walk us through that experience of the impact of, of course, the tragedy and the death of George Floyd that rocked the world, but yeah. it reawakened the much needed movement to remind people that racism isn't gone, still very much endemic. Uh, but yeah. just walk us through in terms of the whole manifestation, in terms of how did you yeah. lean into the most tragic events in the summer into Music Friday and just the, almost like the, the dark and the light at the same time? The story is the dark story is dark light to dark to light now. Uh, <laughs> um, but it was this moment of like, I mean, I, I already said where kind of the context was, but at that time, then once George Floyd, George Floyd was was killed on my first day of being laid off. To be honest, I'm feeling like I'm living the dream. At that point, uh, my company had uh, laid me off. But they I had this incredible, crazy moment where I'm sitting there freaking out. Like, I'm about to have a kid, about to have a kid, but I'm screwed. I got to figure this stuff out. Okay, I got four months severance. Okay, so my kid's born in July. By August, I need a job. Okay, how do we do this? And then I get a random phone call, you know, and I'm free, kind of having anxiety still. I've already written father and I get a random phone call. And this person's like, hey. I'm like, hey. And they're like, um, is this Benjamin Carter? I'm like, yeah, this is him. Well, uh, someone called us and she seemed so confused. She was like, someone called <laughs> us and they told us that you needed extra four months severance. And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, so you're going to be good, you know, for, you know, you're taken care of for the rest of the year. What? Uh, okay. And they're like, okay. And I was like, is it because I'm having a kid? They're like, ah, that's probably why. 
anyway, just to call him to let you know, <laughs> what kind of phone call is this? <laughs> uh, and then they got off the phone. I still have no idea who made the call. No clue. Who called this person and told them, give this kid an extra four months? And I'm sitting there like, all right. And I'm, I am get off the phone and me and my wife, my wife looks at me, she's like, who was that? And we just, I tell her and we're bawling our eyes out, holding each other in the kitchen, you know, because I'm sitting there going, how is this? You know, we got to make some money. I'm scared. Then I'm like, the answer to my other prayer came together. I want to be an uh, artist full time. That's all I want to do. All I want to do is make music. And so I'm sitting there going like, someone's going to pay me till the end of the year. I'm now a full-time artist. I am now getting paid to just, and so it's like that perspective shift. And I've just always been that, I guess, delusional and naive to allow myself to play those little, you know, story games where I'm like, all right, now I'm a full-time artist. Uh, and I got to play that for the rest of the year. So I'm pulling up in Santa Barbara. I'm sitting at a friend's house and I'm reading about George Floyd. And I, I didn't know what to say. The next week, Fragile was supposed to be released, but it kind of felt like good timing as well to like get the message out of of vulnerability so i was like about to pull the song completely i was like dude just not the time let's not maybe we should put the song out i'm trying to make this about me and then my manager also was kind of like yeah as a black man himself was also like you are black you do realize that right like he was like this is kind of about you like he's like this is about everyone who looks like you in this time and i'm like ah i forgot i was black oh <laughs> <laughs> so then i was like all right all right all right and we we switched all the marketing stuff like within like literally two days like we the posts and all that were like uh just because i'm fragile doesn't mean i'm broke just because i'm fragile doesn't mean i'm broken just like all these different things and saying the black body is fragile but not broken the black body is fragile but not broken and we just kept posting that stuff and i was like cool sweet then ain't like oh crazy it wasn't like these awesome moments but then i have this video on my phone of one night while we're editing and creating that stuff getting ready and putting the black bodies fragile but not broken this feeling hits me and i'm like oh shit this song is gonna pop off and i have a video of myself my pregnant wife late at night me running around the apartment we're four days away from releasing uh fragile my song fragile and i'm like telling her like oh it's gonna go off she's like what does that mean um and one thing i study of that video is like I had no idea the details. Sometimes and now in life, I like to pretend like this is exactly what's going to happen. And that's usually when I know I'm wrong. Uh, because in that moment, I ended up being right. But when my wife said, like, what do you think is going to happen? I don't know. I just know it's going to do well. And it made me almost doubt myself. Like in the thing, you can kind of see my body language shift when she started to ask me like detailed questions. But I was like, I don't know, dude. <laughs> I just am telling you something's gonna happen song comes out friday hits i look i'm like holy crap this is new music friday the new music friday how the hell am i on new music friday i don't even have a label these are all major label artists the world is listening to myself oh my god all new indie what the heck okay and next morning wake up outliers holy holy crap and then i'm just watching all these playlists spotify playlists song jumps up over two hundred thousand streams in a month and i'm sitting there like dude this is crazy but the, that's where the dark came in. Now we have guy who's believed, who knows, but doesn't really know how. And now he's seeing all this st cool stuff happen. But in the midst of everything else, now still having a kid, it's not equating to actual money. Like he's not rich, 
He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's not been signed. So then I get confused and I get anxiety every day because I go, I don't have another song to follow this up with for another four at least. So then it turns dark and I have panic attacks, anxiety, and I delete all my apps. I delete all the stuff, but I'm just inside. I'm just riddled with fear like, oh, this is going to stop. And when I tell you this song got up to over 200,000 streams in a month and then slowed down to probably like one of the lowest stream songs I'd ever had, it happened like that. It just like became a normal song in the streaming, like a hundred streams a day, which for a lot of artists that like doesn't sound, that sounds like a lot for some artists. So I don't mean to like diminish that, but like I just went from like 200,000 to there and me just going to anxiety and be like, I don't know what to do and the light part came last year while i was at kind of a darker still in that kind of season of trying to figure out how do i manage this anxiety how do i manage this stuff and as i was meditating as i'm reading different books as i'm doing all of this stuff i'm reading think and grow rich i'm reading breaking the habit of being yourself i'm you know i'm you know I'm reading the bible i'm reading ruthless elimination of hurry john mark comer I'm reading all these books and i'm meditating every day i'm praying i'm journaling because I'm just like, dude, I got to get this. I got to get my mind right. I'm kind of detached. I'm detached from Fragile at that point, you know, because I don't know what's going to happen. I'm like, I assume the song is dead. I'm just focused on the new stuff that we're doing. And then I get a text. Hey, man, uh, you cool with Fragile being on this Netflix TV show? I don't care about being on a Netflix TV show. I'm like, that's never, that doesn't help anybody. Like, besides the nice check. I'm like, who's shazamming songs on Netflix? <laughs> uh so i'm like whatever yeah let's do it uh i was like so i'll take the chat i noticed my shazam start going up once the show comes out some friends start posting like holy crap i'm listening to benjamin carter on 20 somethings austin i'm like ah it's working still not like hyped i'm like actually off social media again because i'm like trying to get my mind right for the new year it's almost the end of the year last year and then i was like oh i should probably get back on when i'm coming back i was like i should say something on tiktok so then I like make a quick TikTok with me and my daughter laying in bed and me being like, notice my Shazams went up a lot because my song went on a Netflix TV show. That video gets over a million views. I watch my streams. Now I think the song's like top streamed on Spotify. It's definitely top on, on like Apple. It just starts going up and I'm like, wait a minute, what the heck is happening again? And now I'm watching the song get the same love, but I'm now not anxious. I'm not confused. I'm just like, no, man, like what's for me is for me. How these things happen and the waves they happen, I got to be okay with, but I'm not going back to that guy that was freaking out in the in-between. I'm going to love this in-between moment and like be excited and love people and talk with people and hop on podcasts and, and just do what I can to help other people in, in between. And then the things that get blessed in my life along the way, I'm like, let's go, you know, like, that was a need. We need this to go well. We need this so that, you know, we can have the, we can tour, we can bring this music out to people so we can get it out to more audiences so we can touch people's lives. So we can, there's a, there's a need for this. Cool. How do we get it? That's just the process. That's the work. We set up a plan. This Bible says a man makes a plan. Proverbs 69 says a man makes his plan, um, but God directs his steps. And I'm just like, that verse for me is like this weird, funny paradox where it's like, all right, well, I'm going here. But if it looks like this, you know, the whole way, like I'm cutting and curving and left and right and all that kind of stuff. It's like, ah, yeah, that might happen, but I will end up at this destination that I have my eyes on or somewhere greater. 
the in-between that's walk by faith not by sight that's move around that's figure out how to get there so my dark light <laughs> light journey whatever it is that's what it, it basically is and i kind of i feel at this place now in life where i'm more my process is really fixated on maintaining this feeling this mindset this identity this belief system versus writing the best song in the world and that seems counter to some people but to me it's like this is where i want to be and we kind of talked before the podcast you make i can make better business decisions i can make better songs if i'm here it might take me longer than the person who's in their craft every single day and focusing on the intricacies it might take me longer i'm not saying i'll get there faster than somebody else who's always in the studio but I'm really, really focused on making sure I never have, I minimize, not never, but I minimize as many moments as possible in my life with the kid, with the wife. I want to minimize that moment of depression and anxiety attacks as much as possible because I care about my surroundings, my family, and I don't want them to see me with these anxiety attacks every single day. So my process of the gym, meditation, journal, therapy, you know, mentorship, prayer like those things focusing on how do i get these routines in place in a very very organized way that i am almost always at this feeling of abundance of love of unconditional love even when bad things are happening i feel composed i know who i am i know i'm loved i know i'm cared for and cherished and i can now be composed under pressure and walk it and make good decisions that's where i'm at the seasons of life right seasonality of life because i always talk about this if it's always sunny and no rain it's drought and desert yeah but if it's always rainy it's flooding and nothing grows so you need the interplaying of different seasons to truly cultivate the optimal conditions and i just want to highlight your such an amazing story about you flipping the narrative not just flipping almost embracing and embodying the narrative of george floyd's tragedy through the lens and the song and the creative avenue of fragility by saying that black bodies are fra uh, fragile but never broken i got goosebumps and i had a full stop on this side of the screen because man we live in this world of or but it's always and you can be fragile and unbroken you can be weak and have strength the life is in the nuances and this is the reason why i love these long-form conversations because when you truly let go of what you want to hear, what you think you should hear, and just sit into the space of this container, there's so much insight, not just this conversation, but any long-form conversations you can with your neighbor, with elders, with someone that's younger. You just don't know what life's going to present you through or as. But I really, really love the lyric and how you are able to embody the fragility in a very strength-based approach. That's yeah. really powerful, man. So I just want to highlight that for you. And yeah, let's talk in terms of your habits because you're very mindful, right? And I'm very grateful that we became fast friends through the AM morning crew, which is, yeah. that's how you know. That's almost like an inheritance preliminary vetting because you know if you show up at 5 a.m. or 5.30 to work out, it's either you used to be fat like I used to be <laughs> or, or there's something you have that work ethics or you have this yeah. vision, you have this unwavering commitment because you don't just work out because you want to. Right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's always fascinating to me when I talk about these mindfulness exercises or practices, especially journaling, because I reckon when I journal, 
sure, I'm a creative, but my creative genius is is not in the musical sense as you are. So it's not lyrical, even though I'm I like to articulate my thoughts in a particular way. So as an artist and musician, what does your journaling process look like? It changed up last year, so I've actually uh, I don't know if it's the case for everyone who grows up kind of in the Westernized Christian world, but like journaling was kind of like a normal thing in like youth groups and stuff. You know, so I was always journaling, but it was always like based off a of devotion we would do or like re- what did I read from the Bible and then writing down my notes from like what I read in the Bible and how that applies to my life. I got in that practice probably from a young age, like that I was always writing, you know, journaling. I was always I was writing songs from even younger. So I'd always have a notebook. But then the process of like journaling my feelings, my emotions kind of came through that. But it was always what am I getting out of this scripture thing and sometimes you're reading scriptures like i said that are like i'm forsaken and i'm sitting there like i got nothing to say like this isn't helpful um, so yeah last year i read this really good book by was actually he's a he was a pastor at a church in pizza zero um he's an author a great author but he had this book called there's a bunch of emotional healthy spirituality is one i think i read emotionally healthy discipleship and he just said really briefly it wasn't a main point of his thing, but he talked about how God's speaking to me through my emotions. He created them. So I need to find out what he's trying to say through this emotion. He created these emotions. I'm feeling it. What is God trying to tell me based on feeling or I felt in that moment? So he kind of like this more analytical way. So now I have this journaling method where every single day I start my morning with what emotions are you feeling right now? And then I'll write those out and then uh, I'll put and why. And then I'll go, you know, read scripture. I'll do, you know, I actually read the Bible. I read a daily stoic devotional, the daily laws by Robert Greene. And I read Tao. And for me, it's just like a, a great, well-rounded understanding of practicality, spirituality, and my specific, you know, religion that I practice. So I'll read all of them in the morning. But before I used to do, write down those emotions that I'm feeling and then take a moment in silence and meditate. But I kind of switched it up and I actually like it better for me, at least through the day is now I will meditate before I even touch the journal pad. Um, and usually it's like a dispenser one or it's simple mindfulness. I work with open and like a little open ambassador now. So it's a great app mindfulness app that I've really come to enjoy. Um, and so I I'll hop on there choose something sit through one of theirs or do like a joe dispenza meditation which if you're not new to meditation definitely work your way up to his it's definitely different uh and and then at the end of it i find myself creating the emotion that i kind of want for the day so then i feel overwhelmed and grateful i feel at peace i feel rested i feel refreshed i feel abundant i feel those things and I write them down. Then I go, why? And then I talk. But there were some moments where I realized I wasn't creating my day. I was reacting still. So when I would wake up in the morning, like, how am I feeling? Restless, annoyed, whatever. Why? Because of these things. Okay, but we didn't do the change part yet. And so now it's like tapping into creating the emotion of gratitude every single day, like being just at peace and grateful for everything I have and for everything that I know that I believe will come to my life might be challenges and stuff, but that's that manifestation, that belief, man, these things are coming to me. 
Yeah, and also I loved your very slick and beautiful product placement. So when you get that commission check, send some to my end, right, for endorsing that. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved your, um, as a daily meditator myself for the past three years, I am extremely scarce and protective and selfish over my 20 minutes. When I wake yes. up around five, a little bit earlier, that 20 minutes before I brush my teeth, before I go to the workout is my time. It's just yep. myself and my inner thought. And yep. I just want to get as close as I can to the power of discernment to see what I'm feeling because emotions are transient. As once again, yep. as a clinician, clinically speaking, people sometimes attach too much meaning to their emotions. It's like, oh, what happened? What are the causal factors? Oh, did I do something wrong? Was there an argument I wasn't aware of? Oh, was it my inner trauma? Sometimes those are the case, but a lot of times yeah. emotions are transient, just like our thoughts. We don't always yeah. have control over our emotions and thoughts. And I really, yeah. really loved what you talked about. God created his emotions. So what do they mean? That is such a powerful reframe, right? Of course, as a fellow Christian, first and foremost, I love these conversations and have this and uphold the influence of God in our lives. And that's amazing to me. And C.S. Lewis, a famous Christian philosopher and author, yeah. he talks about God whispers in joy, but screams in pain. God's loudest, as he said, the megaphone. Pain is God's loudest, like megaphone, or is, exactly. is God's megaphone. And I was like, wait, what? Exactly. Yeah. And that's like the pain teachers. And that's why I love personal development so much, because when you work on yourself, as you alluded to earlier, when you are feeling in your personal cup of this human, Benjamin Carter, your other cups generally get fulfilled. But as you said this earlier very, very well, that a lot of people have that process reversed. That's why midlife crisis happens. That's why people are climbing up the wrong buildings, right? Trying to curate the false sense of self because of parents, because of trauma, because of the patriarchal toxic framework that we put on the pedestal of, oh, this is what success looks like. This is what men looks like. So I just want to really recognize that. You're, I could tell you're a ferocious reader. You have a lot of intellectual interest. You're, you read a lot, I could tell. Where do you think that interest, this thirst for knowledge and growth comes from? Being the, <laughs> being the person everyone thought was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for sure, there's definitely a piece of that in there. It's, there's, well, my parents talk about it a lot, but they, they're still like, first grade when they had like gave out the reading list for what the for the year I guess like first grade or third grade I think it was the third grade actually they gave out the reading list for the year and I finished it in a month and I was like again it's the third grade but I just was like so I love stories I love reading and I was like ah and I finished uh the entire thing by by like the fifth or sixth grade I was writing short story creating characters and writing short stories just for because I just was like, I got this is exciting. I love stories so much. And as I got older, going to the library, picking up books, and it was always not, it was not like there was some fantasy, there was some like fiction. But man, I was I was pulling up in the, the especially because I loved sports and I would read books on skateboarding and NASCAR and dirt bike racing and soccer and soccer that's how i fell in love really with soccer was through looking and reading books in the library and stuff but like i remember at one point i thought i was gonna be a nascar driver i just was like probably like third grade or something i was like dude i could do this because i'm reading a book about nascar now what threw me off and as a kid you know the certain things that just stick with you 
I read about all the deaths in that same book in NASCAR, and I went, nigga, I ain't trying to die. <laughs> I, just, I remember closing that book up, being like, probably like in the third, fourth grade, it was like, NASCAR's out of the picture. I got to find something else. Um, and the, everything else that I just kept reading, I just loved that, man. But there's definitely a piece of me that lost reading as much. So I got to college, still kind of bad student wasn't like good with school definitely wasn't reading those textbooks that's for sure and then got to my senior year i failed out of music school but i got to like officially do this organizational leadership major kind of a bs major uh but i just wanted to graduate and i just wanted to get out so i convinced them to move some credits around for me begged them I'm not convinced i was just like please take some of my old music business credits and let's just make them count let's just let's just say they count <laughs> I'm trying to get out of here. And it worked. And the books I read that year, you know, I remember reading stuff by Daniel Pink. I remember reading Emotional Intelligence. I remember reading pieces of uh, Built to Last. And I would read those things. And it was like this reinvigorated, like personal development, love of like business and how people move and understanding human psychology and how to lead people. And I was like, oh, this is exciting. And I picked up Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath. Now Malcolm Gladwell is my favorite author, but then I read David and Goliath. I read Tipping Point, Outliers, right? That's where I feel the most alive. So now my goal is just to stick to that natural inclination of like, I love reading. So it's really been up to last year, I kind of was reading maybe one book a year, but I would feel incredible on it. And we feel incredible when I read it, but then I couldn't keep myself consistent. Now I'm reading, I read three books at once. I got one book I'm going through on like memoir over here. I have one on spirituality and I have another one on like, you know, practical business, you know, investment, reading intelligent investor right now, Benjamin Graham. So it's like, I'll have all three different subjects. I don't even watch as much TV anymore because I'm like, these are so intriguing to me and I have a different taste of each one. So I can just pop in on this book and learn and pop in on this one and learn this one. I don't even read music books. I don't read a lot on like the music business. Or anything i just i'm really intrigued with how we work how like humans work and that's the spiritual side of us the emotional side of us the business side of us yeah to me it sounds like correct me if i'm wrong but from this type of this side of the table quite literally you're taking a this reverse engineering approach you're going after this version of benjamin carter that you want to emulate which is your future version of maximum potential and you're reverse engineering reversely to know yourself, okay, if this is the type of human, if this is the type of father, if this is type of husband and partner and musicians I inspire to be from a hindsight view, what steps should I be taking, right? 100%. And through yeah. that, you're making sure that your, your anchor doesn't get lost in life because you sort of talked about this earlier where even with your wife, Yas, when she had these visions of what she wanted to do, and she was living the reality as we speak, but she was caught up in anxiety because of, oh, the future, right? Because it's like in Stoic philosophy, you don't want to borrow yeah. unhappiness from the future, right? You're a daily yeah. Stoic Ryan Holiday fan. So, and everyone's baseline always increases. It's very interesting. Of course, I have endless fascination with human psychologies and emotionality is whenever we're looking at something, our baseline's lower. But as you get closer, yeah. our baseline of satisfaction also increases. It's yeah. almost like as people who work out, the holy yeah. grail of workout is what? 
the pump. You're always chasing after the pump, but you will never get the pump because as you get bigger, your pump also gets bigger. So it's always yeah. this, you know, this dangling carrot that we're always chasing after, but we will never yeah. achieve. But man, yeah. pump feels great. I think actually even the yes thing, I think we actually talked about that not even on camera. Her, it is the, it was watching her that year, which would have been last year, she achieved insane heights. And I remember we talked about it and I was so proud of her. Uh, I was at a different place most of last year where I was not believing in myself. I was not feeling great. I was trying to figure out who I was and what I wanted to write and how I want to put that in music and what that was going to lead me to. But she was just like, I'm going to do it. And she did all the stuff, but the in-between moments, she had some anxiety, she had some stuff, and I'm sitting there like depressed already. And I'm just like, dude, she's having anxiety, but she's also doing this. But by the end of the year, she achieved all the stuff that she set out. January, she said she was going to do this. December, she did it. Um, and I was like, like this just on money, finances, all that stuff. And I looked at her, and along the way, crazier stuff happened. I remember this year, I said, thank you for setting that example for me. That January, I said, I'm going to do this. December, I'll have it all that I said I'm going to set out to go do, but I'm going to work really hard for us, for our family, that those in-between moments, I don't do. And I was like, this isn't an insult to her. I was just like, because I was telling her in the moment, I was like, this isn't an insult to you because I was worse than her all elite year last year. But now you showed me, it was so inspiring to see that we can, we as humans with God, not, not without God, or if you want to say the universe or whatever, but like, we are created being. We talked about this in our first conversation. I was like, I remember reading, I think it was Emmanuel Kant or Descartes when I was in high school and reading this stuff in like a philosophy class and them saying, I think therefore I am. And I remember being like, I was created, therefore I create. That part of me being like, oh, I can create with God this future because he created me out of, I'm not doing it out of nothing because everything's already created. God creates out of nothing. So I was like, we're going to create this future by the end of the year. It's going to happen. But because I know I'm, I'm going to try to go my year without doubt. And what are the tools I need for when doubt does come up that I can manage it? Because I, it's going to come up and it has plenty of times. It's only middle of the year. And I've had plenty of times where I've doubted myself. But I have the tools to manage it this time. And that's what I'm fixated on is the tools for managing doubt, the tools for managing, uh, you know, not feeling great about myself and going back to the old version of myself and being able to try to teach that to my family, to my wife, to my daughter, so that they now have the tools. So my wife can do, because I believe she's way better than me at most things uh, in life. <laughs> like, I'm just like, oh, I want her to have these tools so that she now, or I manage my doubt at a, at a even higher capacity. And I, that's what I'm really interested in for sure. Yeah, because there are definitely negative emotions but most emotions yeah. aren't good or bad. Are they serving you in the moment or are they deserving you? Yeah, and yeah, good. just to relive the offline conversations where you talked about, we are created, therefore creativity and the ability to create is part of our DNA. And for non-Christians, and maybe you have some resistance hearing this as a listener, if you're not a Christian or you don't identify through any faith or spirituality. So let me provide this more tangibly. So if you think about the urge that's deeply encoded in our DNA, this creativity process or the ability to create is prehistoric. Cave paintings, like Homo sapiens, and what really established the human's dominance in the hierarchy of apex predators 
is our ability to create fire and tools, period. Yeah. Language, sure, all those things came, but it's our ability to create. And yeah, I had this conversation with the last interview, episode 94 talks about how imagine the world where everyone was an artist and everyone could lean into this prehistoric design. Imagine the endless possibility of the world. And of course, Web 3.0, consumer blockchains and metaverse and creator economy is coming in the next five to 10 years, which is very, very, very exciting for me to see. With that being said, I just want to double click and revisit something. I'm a bit of a non sequitur, so we'll weave in and out of the personal to the macro. I sense a theme of mindset in what you just said, because whether you want to discern the emotions that you have, or journal about it, or reflect on it, or believe in it, it all comes down to the simple mindset. And I just want to talk about the soccer real quick. First of all, I didn't know that your love for soccer started from reading, which is a full circle, right? It's like, how do you fall in love with a sport through reading? I never even thought about that, but worked for you. But I would love for you to share the interesting journey of your soccer. Yeah, so I think... It, it definitely, obviously, I'm, I lived in the Caribbean. So while I was in the Cayman Islands, soccer's happening everywhere around. But again, I was that weird kid who was reading so much that there was like, I was reading uh, Tony Hawk and Bob Burnquist's about like their, you know, how they were skating and stuff and being like, no, I want to be like Tony Hawk. I want to be the next Bob Burnquist, you know, because I was reading that, not because people were skating around me. So like reading for some reason, just made it real in my head and just my imagination. Just like, this is all, ha this can happen. To the point where like Tony Hawk and Bob Burnquist opened up a skate park in the Cayman Islands. And I was there watching these guys by the time I was like in the sixth grade. And I'm like, I was just happening. Uh, and it's one of the most beautiful skate parks in the world. But I literally didn't even, I stopped skating much to how my journey with soccer is. But this, you can tell is I stopped skating because someone told me hey, we don't do this. And I was like, what? And it was my cousin. I'll still remember it. I brought my custom skateboard that I begged my parents for. And I got there and I said, this is that. And they were like, they looked me in the face and said, black people don't do that. We don't skate. So with soccer, it was the same, except through Cayman, I was not good. I was made fun of. You were talking about like, hey, we, you work out maybe because you were fat before. I was so <laughs> chubby. I was so chubby that the other kids, that the girls at PE class, I didn't realize I was chubby. I'm, kids are incredible. When I think back to how I felt as a kid, I didn't even know I was chubby. I remember just this one kid named Jack. He was from England, blue eyes, blonde hair. He took his shirt off, I guess, and he had abs. I was like, cool, me too. So I took my shirt off and I'm running, <laughs> I'm running next to Jack. And the girls start chanting, Jack has abs, Ben has flabs. And I'm like, what <laughs> i tell that story to people and they're like that didn't happen i'm like no i really wish it didn't happen. uh it's probably why i go so hard in the gym now uh and why most of these photos i have now are me with like this purple shirt on and no sh or purple jacket on no shirt because i'm just like oh i work out um so it's my inner child and me just like hey hey where's jack now um anyways so <laughs> when i go to uh america i moved to america in the seventh grade i had i had just finished watching by that time youtube had had become a thing you know had watching soccer videos on youtube highlight reels I mean, every single day of like ronaldinho cristiano ronaldo and then the world cup happened 2006 and i'm like okay i mean i moved to the u.s july 30th 2006 and i go all right 
no one knows who I am in the U.S. I remember this conscious thought, like, no one knows who I am. Kind of they knew because I skipped over that story. A hurricane happened. I was a refugee in the U.S. for like three or four months uh, in Washington, D.C. My parents left me with my parents, with my grandparents, and went back to Cayman to fix up and help everybody. And my dad was a pastor there. So me and my sister were like refugees living with our grandparents. And we were going to school for like three months uh, when I was in the fifth grade. Um, so I went to the school and then turns out a year and a half later, my dad's like, actually, we're moving back to DC and you're going back to that same school. So I'm like, all right, they don't really know me. I don't really know them. There's going to be a couple people I know um, when I pull up, but let's be the world's greatest soccer player. Like my brain was just like, I'm going to be the next Pele. That's literally, I told myself that sentence and I couldn't juggle a soccer ball. Like I could not even <laughs> not gonna juggle a soccer ball at that point. But I'm like watching YouTube videos every single day. I'm watching these guys called Ballas Berlin, and they would just do these crazy tricks juggling a soccer ball. And I was just like, I'm gonna do that. And bro, when I tell you I, something clicked in me, my mom, I remember her coming down to the basement saying, "Hey Ben, it's time to eat." And I'm drenched in sweat. I'm drinking like five, six different water bottles a day, not trying to lose weight, but losing a ton of weight. Uh, and I'm just like sitting there, just like, no, not till I'm the next Pele, not till I'm the next Pele, kicking the soccer ball, putting this bucket, like this, like nasty bucket all the way in the back of the backyard. Cause we had this tiny, tiny backyard cause it's the middle of the city in DC, uh, in Northwest. And I'm just kicking it and trying to curve it around this, this tree and just curving it, trying to see, can I curve it into the bucket? Can I curve it into the bucket? Can I curve it into, and I kept doing that shit over and over again, doing, juggling, 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 juggling. By the time I get to school, I'm around 50, 60 juggles. They're like, I'm training really hard in practice. And people are like, oh, this guy's kind of good. By the end of that year, seventh grade year, you know, I'm juggling around 100, 150 in a row. Uh, I just learned to like count and I'm going, I got 150. And then eighth grade year comes along there, you know, I have a coach from the high school being like, hey, do you want to move up early? Like, do you? And I'm like, my parents and the coaches there were like, don't should not be trying to move up early you're not going to get playing time focus on juggling i'm at 335 by the end of that year another coach comes to me and he goes hey stop counting focus on creativity focus on tricks who cares how much you can do in a row and i said got it so then i started focusing more on tricks started focusing on that when i get to high school i'm there i finally made it to playing with like the varsity boys i'm starting on the team with all these older kids yeah i got this and the older kids just don't respect. They don't think I'm good. They make fun of me. They love me, obviously, like in this loving way. But I was looking for affirmation and I was made fun of. So for about three years, from freshman year of high school to 11th grade, I am, I win. The most I win is a honorable mention twice, which is like third team. That was all I got. And a couple assists. And I think I scored once in three years. I was always choking. I was always afraid. Our team won a championship the 11th grade year. I remember we had won a championship, but my parents at that point, money was a really tight. Things were bad. We weren't able to, they weren't able to get me into a travel team. I was having, doing summer camps where scouts are telling me like, hey, you're wasting your kid's talent. He's only playing at high school level. And I'm sitting there going like, yeah, dad, let me, let me go. Like, let me go play these other things. But we didn't have the money. We only had one car. That car was always breaking down. So I'm already going three years deep of like, the soccer dream is dying fast. That whole time, music is slowly growing on me. Now all of these older kids are just graduating. Senior year comes around. The coach who had been with us those three years, 
was like, hey, I got what I wanted and there's no hope anymore on the team because it was just me. <laughs> so then he was like, I'm out and he leaves and I'm going, what the hell? Uh, so now I'm like stuck with the athletic director who played soccer a little bit, but wasn't this other guy, this other coach had played like in Germany, he played professional, like all of this. And I'm like, but this coach taught me more about like leadership, about life, about myself how I work under pressure, words, like I love languages, words of affirmation, all that stuff. I learned that from this coach and realized the power of that so much. Cause I remember preseason, I'm just, we're playing a game. I'm a small guy, but I was about to fight everyone I met. Uh, and so I was on the field and I'm just about to fight this other, you know, I'm angry, things aren't going well. He pulls me off the field. He starts hitting me in the chest and he's just like, you're the heartbeat of this team. You are the heartbeat of this team you need to get your head together because if you can't do that, all the rest of them are going to fall apart. Whoa. The last coach, the only thing he said to me that I remember out of three years was Ben, what the hell are you doing? This is different. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, all right. And it just kicked back in the kid that moved to America. We didn't win. We got out in quarterfinals. Maybe I think like we like, that was as far as we went, but I went, I even think I was like second or third highest scorer in the league. I don't even know how many assists I got. Definitely a lot of assists. The league of all the coaches and officials, they get together and they vote player of the league. Like who was the best player of the league? They voted me as the player of the league. Again, our team got to quarterfinals. Like we didn't win. There was other players who were like, we were way better. Than That's what I'm thinking in my head because we didn't win, you know? And the coaches are voting me as the person that they're seeing on the field is like that kid on that team, best player in the league. I get that. I get other awards. I got, I finally got first team for three years. I was getting honorable mention. Then I get first team of the league and I'm sitting there like, what the heck? And just came from somebody speaking this life into me. You're the heartbeat of this team. You can do this. I believe in you. It just all clicked back. And I was like, right. I needed that. I needed someone to believe in me, to speak into me and speak into my potential, speak into who I was and see me for who I could be, not who I was being. I don't play as much soccer anymore. I love the game so much, but like, you know, when it came into music, a lot of that story also guides me a lot in music. Now it's like, you know, we're being reminded of the people. I have certain people in my life who do that for me, who remind me of moments, who I can be. And then now me getting in the habit of how can I affirm myself daily of who I can be? How do I do that? And reading these books and stuff, I feel like that's just like, they're like, or little motivational guys and stuff. Like some people will, you know, shit on the, the motivational person, but I'm like, I like it. Like, I like some of that stuff because it's just a person I need, which is myself usually in that moment, because I'm not there in person with a Ryan Holiday or Gary Vee or Eric Thomas or, but like in my head, that voice is going through and it's just another person speaking to my potential, who I can be, that I'm like, yeah, I can do this. I, I can achieve all the great things that I believe, you know, that my music can do for people. I can actually do this. I believe, I feel like this, the seventh grade kid again. I feel like that now most days because that guy was onto something. Someone said, I heard this last week, someone said success leaves clues. And I was like, oof. And I, when I look, so I look back at that and I look and I'm like, what did I have? In seventh grade, where I went exponential results as a child, I went from nothing to 
I was doing pretty freaking well. How did I do it? Who was I? Success leaves clues. What were the things about that moment? And I'm trying, I, there's moments where I'm like, now I'm older. I need to have some more self-control. I need to have, so like I got, you got to grow up in some parts of your life. But that kid who was willing to have no reservations and believe he could be the next Pele. Oh, I want to be that guy. Because even if I don't become Pele, what happens in the moment, that growth in the moment, what it affects and how it affects the people around me. That to me is greatness. It's like, ah, I'm willing. Greatness is like, for me, it's being willing to look like a fool, being willing to fail, being willing to tell people I have a dream, MLK, and get shot only a little bit afterwards and never get to see your dream, but affects everyone else after. The legacy lost. Yeah, that's beautiful. Be willing to, to, to go for it. Martin Luther King's dream did come true. He, it did happen. You know what I mean? It just wasn't, he didn't get to see it. He didn't get maybe the results. He didn't get the thing. So I'm like, oh, I'll be the next, you know, maybe I'll be the next kind. doesn't mean it. What if I don't become the next kind? What if I don't have music that's doing? What if I don't become the next gen? What if my daughter gets to see her dad living at his maximum potential, attempting to go out, and my daughter goes, oh, I can do it. Oh, man. Or her friends or anyone else as she grows older, people who are able to be affected by that. When I step out, that vulnerability, that's scary, man. That vulnerability, that little space in between of willing to try. Everyone's willing to dream. We've met a lot of dreamers, and I'm a big dreamer myself. And then our group text, we have a group text that we have of a bunch of dreamers. There's, I made that specific. It's dreamer to doer. It's the dreamer to doer, like mastermind that we have in that text. Because for me, for years, I was always on the dream side, but I was way too afraid to try. Because that's where I went back to the kid, as you see the theme in this whole thing, is the kid who always felt stupid. And I didn't like that feel. I didn't like people thinking I was dumb. I didn't like feeling of people thinking I wasn't good enough. So I'd do anything to avoid that. And usually that came from just being the guy who makes jokes. So I would numb, I would try to make jokes and I would make myself dumb in scenarios, knowing I'm reading you know, all of these books, but I'd make myself dumb because I was so afraid that like, what if they're right? You know, now I'm like, I'm willing to try. Man. I would rather look dumb trying and being able to get close to God in that process. It's getting close to, you know, potential of who God created. That's exciting. That makes life so much fun. I had this conversation. That's a long, that's a long thing also. I apologize. I don't know how long I just talked about that. No, I mean, you're speaking through streams of consciousness and passion. I had this call with Kitty Noor. Talks about cool. the world creates space mm. for passionate people. Mm. This is why having a creative process or I think podcasting is very powerful as an avenue because I believe in the healing power of creativity, but also I think that by sharing our voices and passions, it gives other permissions to pursue their passions and voices. It's a trickle effect and you're truly having a domino effect in the most uplifting and positive way. And I think that's really, really powerful about that. So I just want to stay on this train real quick and double click on something. Soccer is a team sport. At the same mm-hmm. time, your coach told you that you're the heartbeat of the rhythm, your heartbeat of this organism of the soccer team. So you're both dealing with the individual component, but also the collective team components. How does that translate to you as a musician now in the creative process? Because as an individual, you're the mastermind be- behind the lyrics, behind the harmony, the tempo, the alchemy of music and rhythms. 
at the same time, there is a team involved, manager, editor, producer, or maybe you're a coach. So how do you see the similarities and how has that soccer journey is continuing influencing you now as your musician? That's what I love being on this podcast with you is because you're able to connect things that I didn't even realize are connected. Yes. Oh my God. The team aspect that I've been able to learn from soccer and the human psychology that I was basically being taught that senior year is a hundred percent the reason why I've been able to see even some of the semblances of success to this day, because I can't produce during that whole journey of music and stuff. When failing out of college and music school and stuff, I actually was like, I'm not good with the, you know, a digital audio, like workshop, the DAWs. I'm not good with them. Like I can get in and record a little thing real quick, get it up and then be done, but I'm not as great with it. And so if I sat down every single day and practice hundred percent, you know, I could get it. But to me, that's wasting precious time on what I really love, which is writing songs, creating songs, and also working people. I love people. I don't do this to be alone. One of the things me and one of the producers I met with this week we're talking about is how one of my superpowers is that I am not the smartest in the room. The producer trusts me to do me. I trust the producer to do the producer. And it's that human psychology of like, again, this dance, the heartbeat, the rhythm, the leading. What I do best is I focus in who's this producer, what's going on in their life, what should be celebrated in their personal life, what are the things that are going on with them. And the best artists will tell you, like when they're creating these songs, they have incredible conversations beforehand, and then they write a song. So I'm sitting in the session, I'm booking out sessions for five hours, six hours, about an hour and a half of that is just us talking. That's it. It's about an hour of just like, yo, yeah, what's going on? Yeah, that should be celebrated, bro. Oh, you're having a kid. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, you're, you know, these are the things you're struggling with. These are the things you want. And me trying to fill up with love, with the readings, with everything else that I have, that I'm like, I don't have anything to give you connections or what I might not have some, but can I give you so what I've read? A book? I've bought books for my producers. I've sat down and shared with them things that I've read, podcasts, all that stuff. And I'll, you know, and some of them will even be like, dude, that inspired the shit out of me. Thank you. Cause I'm like, all right, this is what I can do. So I'm giving them my best in that moment. They're giving me their best, which in return, which will be really wanting to create an incredible song with me. And then I'm able to flow out the music, but it's like this back and forth versus some people will come into a studio and it's all about how, what you're giving me producer, you work for me. You're going to create my song. It's one of those things where it's like, you can sense when a person's in there for themselves both of us are going to gain from it. both of us are going to leave. Like one of the producers I came in and we had already made some good songs, but I said, Hey, let's both challenge ourselves. I'm going to come in. I have this melody idea and it sounds like a country song. I wrote it like a country song. I went like credit cards all pulled up. Life's been on a decline. Singing praise God. Like I wrote this thing and I said, let's take that. No chords to it. No, nothing else. And let's create a song that we can see that could feel like Frank Ocean meets Boney Vera meets Kanye West. Let's try to create with that melody. And we did. It was like one of our favorite songs. We've shared it with so many different people because we just started putting all these elements and influences into it. And we would change the vocals up completely and made some auto-tune and made some like this. And to the point where like, this is weird, dude. And we send it to people and they're like, this is cool. But it was the whole point was me and him to gain on a challenge because he's sitting there like, this is tough. You gave me a task that's not easy. And I'm like, I know, 
this is tough for both of us. How the heck are we going to come up with something good? We left the first session and listened back and was like, this is terrible. We came back and did a second one and was like, I think we got it. Uh, but it took time. And now we have something together that we both are proud to show other people like, yo, check this. We, this was our process. This was the idea. But that's like human psychology. That's like, that's making something bigger than just Benjamin Carter walking in the studio. I catch my time a lot of times now. And I learned this from my wife is saying we, like last night I played a show and I was like, well, I started saying we, we're really just working. And I was like, oh, I'm up here alone playing acoustic. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I literally said, I, I mean, when I say we, I guess me, I don't see this as just Benjamin Carter. I see this as the collective, the artist my, the, that I'm with, the producers I'm with, the my manager, the creatives, the photographers, the videographers, uh, like my family, my wife, like I see it as we moving together, we balancing off each other, we doing these things together. And because I learned that from my wife, because she started, when she started her company, one of the most powerful things she used to do. And at first I was like, is this a BS thing? Like, how is she doing this? She would always say our company, we are what we do. And she would always say that. And I was like, it's just you right now, dude. She had no other contractors. She had nobody else she was working with, but she was always we, 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 we. And then she got we. Then she started having employees. Then she had, started adding people. And I watched and I was like, oh, that's cool. I need a team. And last year, that's what I did. Last year, I just finally was like, I need a team. Said it out loud. And now I felt like I got too many people coming in. Uh, like random people hitting me up being like, Hey, I want to run ads for you. Hey, I want to do this for you. And I'm like, now I have a we, and this team is growing, but yeah, soccer is definitely like what I've learned, but soccer mixed with the leadership stuff. Again, I ended up taking a BS major from organizational leadership, but learning in Jim Collins, good to great, what servant leadership was and them taking 12 years, I think of research to write this book based on the, what they believe they set a metric for what they believe the top leaders in companies did and what that would have to mean for their public like their share prices and everything else over a certain amount of time like that's why i'm so interested with this i'm like i can't do this on my own if it was just up to me and i brought you a melody like that the song's only going it's one dimensional it's not going anything else it's me on an acoustic guitar it's done but i want to create the stuff i hear in a song i want to create the stuff that i like imagined in my head but i don't have those talents yet i don't have that thing I could work on it. Steve Jobs, you know, not to compare myself to Steve Jobs, but that's someone who I would look up to where I'm like, this guy didn't really code. He made all this stuff, like computers, iPhones. But this dude didn't know how to create a computer, but he created the computer. We all attribute all this to Steve Jobs, not to Wozniak, which is mind blowing to me because it came from out of Steve Jobs' imagination. It was his guidance, his belief in what he was creating and able to inspire people, even though he hurt people along the way and stuff. And he had to learn from his own mistakes. He was able to inspire the people to partner alongside him to create what we know today as literally the first trillion dollar company. He's also the first one to marry liberal arts with technology, right? Yeah. I mean, he's... I mean, obviously, on a personal level, there are flaws and issues, but on a creative level, he is definitely on the Mount Rushmore or of, of the greatest innovators of ever. Yeah, yeah, I love that story, man. And I just want to highlight your genre. You talked about when you first wrote down music and genre, you, you still weren't clear, right? Because we're talking about symphony, 
Because whether it's symphony in life or symphony of life, you need a composer to、mm. compose the music. Like as a chefs, chefs are the alchemist with alchemy of ingredients, and you as a musician, you're the alchemy of your thought process, your emotions into this harmonic masterpiece through the、yep. collective contributions and we weaving with your team, producer, editor, etc. But your story about creating something new on a musical sonic level reminds me of Kid Cudi. And Lil Nas, Kid Cudi. I mean, Man on the Moon will always be my favorite favorite album. I pay homage to him for introducing me to hip hop when I first came to the U.S. at age 15, so years、yeah. ago now. But as you know, he was the first rapper to talk about vulnerability ever.、Yeah. Before that, nobody rapped about emotions. Nobody rapped about the street life. Nobody rapped about the hardened reality that these artists come from. And then now it's almost like you have to talk about certain emotions. You have to rap about some authentic part. Otherwise, who's gonna listen to you? And Lil Nas,、yeah. as a black a gay man, nobody thought he could do country. Song popped off, and they just put him on the map. And I feel、yeah. like we talked about this, where where we're truly being authentic. I do believe that the world gravitates towards us rather than us gravitating、yeah. towards them. And that's a story I'm hyper aware. It's a story I'm telling myself. Because the tug of war between internal vision and the external dialogues, the chatter, the noises—it's very much real. That fuckery—it's、yeah. real, right? Yeah. So, with that being said, I sort of mentioned this in the introductions. How do you describe your genre? How would you describe your music, just sonically? Because it's so unique, and I, like I said, I love the song "Psycho." Just the lyrics. The the realness you you and just so groovy, but it's also very thought provoking. So, how would、yeah. you describe to someone who is coming across your music for the first time? They're like, "What is this?" If someone was coming, I would tell them I'm a lyric guy first. So, I would say I'm a message guy. What sucks is that sometimes our lyric message guys aren't good at music, <laughs> or like their music doesn't like. It's just like, ah, that's corny, or yeah, believe in yourself. It's time to stay. Like, it's like okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, <laughs> so I'm like, I don't want that. I don't want to. I don't want that to be what the kind of music I'm putting out. But I care about message a lot. You know, I wanted my dad's a pastor, my grandpa's a pastor. You know, my uncle is a pastor. You know, they're all preachers. Like I'm like, I want to bring preaching. I want to bring something to people. However, I won't be too preachy. You know, it's like that balance. It's like I'm like not trying to be preachy, and I only got two minutes and thirty seconds or three minutes to like. Put an idea into your head,、uh, and so、uh, I would say, like, hey, what you're listening to is you're listening to a lyric guy first. If you listen to Fragile but you don't listen to Psycho, you might miss the message. You know, if you listen to Father Prayer but you don't listen to Seventeen, you might miss the message. It, it's the catalog all together builds off each other to tell a story of a guy and his emotions and his feelings and his life. But it's like it's my little autobiography. You know what I mean? Different chapters for different things. I don't really focus as much on the sonics being cohesive because I'm a first generation kid of the internet. YouTube was created, and I'm the one in the Cayman Islands watching videos of anime in Japanese, being exposed to Japanese culture while speaking English while living in the Caribbean as a black kid. What do you mean? That's wild to me. Oh man, that's so cool that God was able to give me that experience,、uh, and so I, I definitely lyrics, man. Lyrics are, are a big part to me. The story that I'm trying to tell people of my life, of 
living following your dreams of you know racial tension and racial reconciliation i want to tell all of those things through the music the nows the past the reflection on the future all of it together and i want to put it all in a song and songs sometimes they call for a different part of your voice and i love that i have like i have a song coming out called hands up don't shoot because i listened to punk rock growing up and i listened to people screaming in songs growing up but i just never did it and then i got in the studio and was like i want to try it and so we got in and it's one of my favorite songs and i'm screaming every time i see that look not like this at all uh staring at me like a crook hands up hands up don't shoot like but I'm screaming that thing at the top of my lungs. I'm going, you're a killing machine. I'm just trying to breathe. I'm just trying to sleep. Get what you got up your sleeve. Like I'm just screaming it like a punk song. The song's just like, and I'm like, I cry my eyes out when I listen back to that song because it's one of the most vulnerable songs I have, but the backtrack, the way it's provided and handed to you, it doesn't seem like it would, this shouldn't be a vulnerable song. This should be a hard song but I'm scared to death. That's the song. The song is me scared to death and screaming, hands up, don't shoot. So it's like, I'll be driving in the car, I'll play it, choked up, tears rolling down my face. And I'm like, oh, this is the song that's gonna gonna keep me playing music 40 years from now. It might not be the song that gets me a Grammy. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know <laughs> that, but I'm like, <laughs> but 40 years from now, I'm playing this song at festivals, at shows, you know, and people bring me out to play or whatever, because I'm like, this song is vulnerability. This song helps people. It might take years for it to catch on, but I go, this is what the world needs more of. Not that I'm the only one bringing it, but we need more of vulnerability packaged in a way into an audience that might not be looking for vulnerability in this style of song. And I think Kid Cudi did that perfect. It's like, if you're listening to a song, you listen to hip hop, you weren't looking for someone to talk to you about their anxiety, their depression they were going through. You were like, I was looking to be like, yo, I'm up in the club. And I'm, but you listen to like Pursuit of Happiness and it's like, dude, you were going through it. Day and night. Oh, you're going through it. But then we'll add some day and night. Uh, uh, I toss and turn. And, uh, and it's like, oh, you were going through it. One of those things, and I didn't realize how much Kid Cudi really even inspired me. But for me, lyrically, like that's what I'm, I'm doing with a lot of my songs. I'm providing you lyrics that you might sing on a song hyped. Lost Control is a song that I want people to sing hyped. You know, like, is this real? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me, tell me, what the hell am I really looking for? And then one day, just like, might be the 50th time you listen to it. Because it's fun. You might listen to it 50 times, but that 50th time you're going to sit there and go, is this real? Tell me what the hell am I looking for? If you're near help me because I'm about to lose control. But the song's fun as hell, you know? Like you're gonna, you're screaming it. People will be like, is this really? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's like fun beat, like everyone's like having fun, but it's me putting in there, is this real? Is God real? Is all this happening? If you're near, if you're here, God, if somebody's here, if anyone can hear the sound of my voice, please help me. And I was at a hard place. But I wanted to put it in a song that was like, not that at all. I wanted to put it in a song that wasn't dressed up for sadness. So it's like the beginning starting with, I feel like I talk too much, you know, like I'm always losing friends. 
it's like the beginning is like this is sad but you're kind of already brought into the beat you know and then it's like i'm sorry i'm sorry i'll do better like it's the whole song is about it feels so fun but those lyrics are rich with i need help a cry for help you know and kid cuddy does that i think so beautifully you know and i think that's what i'm trying to attempt to do with my music is can i provide something for people that they might listen to like a hundred times 50 times however many times but on that one time they listen to it and decide to actually look at the lyrics they go ah frick that got me that impacted me and psycho is the same thing psycho is such a fun song but that chorus is one of the hardest choruses i've ever written i'm saying let a nigga tell you what he's talking about caught up with emotion and i'm feeling with doubt i'm feeling psycho i'm so over chasing another stereotype uh, overdosing on opinions and I'm losing my mind. I'm feeling psycho. And like last night I played it um, and I played it acoustic and there was these black guys that were there. Was, and these guys came up to me and they're just like, brother, let a nigga tell you what I'm talking about. And they were just so hyped. But this isn't something they, like a lot of guys like me were like told it was okay when we were kids to listen to. Gotta listen to something hard. Gotta listen to something tough. Gotta be hip hop. Gotta be, you know, but like now it's like an acoustic guy sometimes or with a guitar and stuff screaming to like some sort of like princey you know maroon five type thing but screaming out let a nigga tell you what he's talking about it's like oh, okay it gives voice to people who didn't have voice using a different avenue and where the people that are going to listen to it most likely won't look like them but they will hear their voice and i think that's the chorus of the we that's the chorus of what we're all singing now and other people can do it and know that that guy doesn't look like me, but he's definitely freaking listening to what I have to say. Yeah, music is truly universal. And dude, I just want to recognize, man, your ability to incorporate the macro, these really, really convoluted, difficult, complex, systematic issues, and package that through this personal vehicle. And of course, the packaging of funness, right? Because you got to hook them. So they stay long enough on your train or yeah. journey, and then it clicks one day. The seed is yeah. planted, and you may not, as you said earlier, you may not always see the seed blossoming to something, but you know your job is done. The seed has already been planted on your end. It's, it's really powerful, man, because I do think that the messaging board, just the motivation porn itself isn't enough. Or motivation overload every single day. Whether it's podcasts, books, audiobooks, there are so many smart people out there. There's so many better podcasters out there but all we can do is all we can do. Yeah. So zooming into what you said, Ben, how would you tell people, whether it's our age, maybe even older, maybe younger, regardless of their spectrum of age, how would you tell them they're like, Ben, I wanna be a singer songwriter. I wanna be a musician, but I can't. My dad's a pastor. Nobody in my family has done creative processes. My, my mom is an accountant. I don't know what else to do. I was never creative. Because you're a pastor's kid. You're the only PK, pastor's kid that I know that's doing what you do. And you're so, so good at it. So for people that's listening, people who are grappled and just hindered and weighted down by all these thoughts and all these expectations, I can't do what Ben does. There's no way. What would you say? Great question. I would say that first off, it's not going to probably be, it might not be easy. You know, that's one thing that like, you know, I've had some heart to heart, some tougher conversations with even my family, my dad and stuff. Cause I remember being like, Hey guys, I'm going to be cussing. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> like it's just gonna happen. Uh, and that was like a, Whoa, what the, 
I don't know if they like that I cuss, but they support me, you know? And I felt even more of that pressure, but like wanting to respect even my in-laws too. My in-laws are very much more conservative in that sense too, where I was just like, it's not just about me, but they seem to be fine with it as well. Um, and so I was like, okay, all right. So I was just testing waters, testing different things. I remember when I did bad habits, I didn't even say anything. I was like smoking a cigarette in the video. Uh, and I was like, oh, my family's about to like kill me. They understood the art. They understood what I was saying. And I think first and foremost, I would say when you're doing this about yourself, people can tell. And so if you find yourself when you're being like, I'm going to do my music thing or whatever, I don't care what my family's going to say about it. I would just say, check yourself for a sec. You know, like I noticed now all the moments I was scared, my emotions were telling me not just that I was scared of maybe the affirmation thing, Definitely there was some of that, like, oh, I want my family to affirm me and be happy for me. But I also noticed that in a lot of it, I respected the point where, I mean, at one time I was, you know, working for my dad at his church in front of 10 people on a Sunday, playing worship music, playing stuff. And I think that season of life and plus the seasons of life I've had to go through with my wife and her family have shown us, have shown them who I am as a, as a man, as Benjamin Carter that they trust me, they trust me with their daughter, they trust me with my daughter. They look at me and they respect because I've been so fixated and focused on making sure that at every moment my family knows that and care about that more than I care about this whole popping off music thing. So if you see family freaking out, they might not be able to voice it because they might not know. Some, of, some people just suck. I will also throw that in there. Some people are only concerned about themselves. So your family members, you could be showing that you love them and they could just be like, nope, uh, you know, and that's a different thing. But at least in my scenario, they love me, they care about me and they know I love and care about them and my wife and my daughter. I've been able to pursue this thing with support from people who I never thought would support me, pastors, you know, who are helping me and giving me money because they believe in what I'm doing. They're just like, oh man, like how can we, partner alongside and help you and i'm like you realize in the song i'm about to say i'm about to say let a nigga tell you what i'm talking about <laughs> like that's not really like church you know what i'm saying like i was like that i don't know like some of the messages might not be here and lost control it's kind of it's gonna be spooky i have like these weird the music videos like me with purple eyes and like it feels like haunted house i'm like ah people might be like this is demonic uh <laughs> but pushing these boundaries really hard because that's part of my story. And I didn't really want to talk about my religious story and my background. Cause I was like, ah, Christianity has a bad rep. So I've always kind of wanted to stay out of it. You know what I mean? But I can't get rid of it because it's authentic to me. I'm a third generation, you know, pastor's kid. Like I'm part of all this stuff. I'm like, I gotta talk about it. And the more I've talked about it and allowed it to flow through, most people are like, oh, that's cool, man. And those who don't think it's cool, I haven't said anything, so it doesn't really matter, you know, but I think it's like, step out, do your thing, try. And when you're trying, make sure you're trying for something more than yourself, more than just a couple thousand likes on IG. It's your family. It's the, the other generations. It's future kids. It's loved ones. It's, it's inspiring other people to be able to do their journey. It's being able to say like, all right, if I am a famous artist, at least maybe the symbolism that I, when people see it, they can see, you know, if I wanted people to see it, I'd want them to see a word that says dreamer, encourager, inspired, like that's what I want. Like Benjamin Carter goes away. 
I want them to just know those words and then take those on, plant those seeds, and they can take those and use them for future generations. And they can forget about me. But if I can give them dreamer, inspirer, and they can be like, now I'm going to be a dreamer. Now I'm going to be the inspiration. Now I'm going to be. I think those are the things, and those are my words. Like, you don't have to have those words. Figure out what those words are for yourself. Again, that kind of goes back to what we talked at the beginning. Mindfulness, mindset, mindfulness, mindset, all of that. And then try, test, try. Okay, that didn't work. Mindfulness allows you to kind of watch and govern those things. Success leaves clues, man. And I've noticed, at least for myself, like I'm seeing exponential results. I'm not telling you this is the only way to get what you want. I'm telling you this is a beautiful way to sustain. So how would you balance between absolute uncompromised personal satisfaction and service that's a great question yeah because i sense a lot of the theme and ethos of service and of course you said it so beautifully that when we do it for larger than us larger than me 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 look at me 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 cosmos and universe and god tend to respond well to that intention but at the same time as a creative especially someone that's not just up and coming but a very established you're so passionate and you have this vision you want to live out of because you are the conduit, you are the vehicle of your stories, but yeah. then you have this underlying theme of the service. So interesting to see how you would balance that or show people how you would personally balance it. I think I would just say the word balance is tough for me in general, because I'm more focused on moving forward than being balanced. Meaning I picture life as like bowling with the gutters up and being humble enough to say, I need the bumpers up. I don't need gutters anymore. I need the bumpers <laughs> up and bowl that joint. It might smack the shit out of one side and then go to the other end and smack the shit out of the other side. But you know what's happening the whole time? It's going to hit go towards those pins. You might only knock a couple of them because your technique was bad. You might knock more because your technique was better, but you went forward. And so balance to me is that. And when I picture it in my head, so I think there is no clear line between the two of like how to get the perfect balance. Um, but I do believe as creatives, we do have to say, there's those moments where you have to find what is true to yourself and say, hey, this is the story I am going to tell. And I'm being told this is stupid by like six people. But because of my practices, because of my mindfulness, because I'm self-aware, I know this is the story that I truly believe in that is going to help other people. You know, it's like, I can't change. Like someone this week told me to change a song because they didn't like the song. And they were like, ah, oh, you should scrap it. But I like it. <laughs> and then yeah. I was like, all right, well, I really like it. And then I was like, maybe I'm crazy. Let's be humble enough to say, this could be a bad song, but I like it. Let me ask around some people's opinions who I value. Ask my wife, she didn't like it. Ask my manager, he liked it. Random person out of nowhere texts me says they really like it. And so I go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this song. Because I really like it and I'm noticing there's a trend between some people just have preferences. But the message I put in that song mattered to me. And I liked how we the ebbs and flows of the influences in the song. It's not for everybody, but it's for some. And as long as I can see that it's for some, I'm willing to try. Last year, one of the best things I ever did is I let the TED talk about the guy who, who did the rejection challenge for 100 days or something. I don't know if you've seen that, but he put himself through a uh, hundred days of rejection. I was like, mm, I'm soft. I'm way too fragile. I put it in a song. I named the song fragile. I need to get a little tougher because this thing 
this thing people are going to say they hate my songs they're going to say it and i need to be able to be okay with it and not destroy myself over it all right so i started just sending demos i was like i'm going to ruin some relationships here there's some a and r's there's some people who and that i'm sending music to that they're going to be like we hate this benjamin carter guy he keeps sending us messages <laughs> But I was like, but this is for me. I was like, I got a little, I was a little selfish. I was like, I need you to not respond. I need you to reject my thing. I need you to tell me I don't like it or to tell me you do like it. But the fear of rejection is really what mattered. It wasn't really that they were going to reject me. It was the fear of rejection to not even try. So I just started sending demos and stuff last year. Some people never responded. Some people gave great feedback. Some people hated it. But it got me to this place where now this year I just laughed. I really like it. One person told me it really helped them. So if there's one where there's one, there could be more. Let's try to find them. I'm fine with my entire audience being in, in, in Mozambique. Fine with my entire, all my the fans of that song being in one country, one tiny island, one tiny place, but all of them mess with it. And it's only that one song that's messed with over there. Cool, but I want to find them. I want to find that group of people that are like, we love this and this speaks to us and what we're going through i'm not as concerned of if it's the whole world if i can find one there's many it's like one for all and all for one yeah Yeah. and i also sense a lot of the power of surrender and i really appreciate before i i continue by the way all these questions to someone listeners out there that's first to this channel and this show it's unscripted so i really appreciate you sharing your real answer because not everything has a blueprint and not everything's meticulously laid out. Oh, balance. I have this perfect, I have this blocks. It's life, you know? And like I said, balance looks different for everyone. So I think having this perception of one size fits all work-life balance is a huge disservice. Some people need four hours of sleep. Some people need nine. You know, everyone has different needs and demands and circumstances, privileges, oppression, etc. What I wanted to talk about is the power of surrender that I sense in your story is surrender gets a bad rap, right? Detachment in Buddhist philosophy. People are like, oh, surrendering. That means you're giving up. You're not mm. surrendering. You're, sur- you're surrendering to a higher being after you've already worked with what you can control because you cannot control or exert influence in life, but you can insert a certain control in certain domains of life, whether it's work ethics, you know, waking up to your self-care routine, make sure you're in the right headspace, etc. At the same time, you have to know your limits and surrender for the greater good. That's how you make sure you don't get your mental health is not at the cost of what you do. So I just want to bring that with you because there's a story you shared with me where it speaks to the serendipitous power of life, but also the synchronicity of life. Once you had the right intention, once you did everything you possibly could with your fiance or your girlfriend at the time, right? And then through surrendering, God answered your call through this miraculous outcome. As you know, I got full goosebumps when you share that story. And I just wanted to create an opportunity for you to share and just talk about the power of surrender in that specific moment and how synchronistic life became immediately 24 hours later. Yeah, see this before preference is i'm blessed with the greatest family on earth uh but i'm blessed with an incredible family um and when i say family i mean my wife me i mean her parents you know her brothers and sisters i mean my parents and my sister i mean my cousins 
I mean, all of flaws and all I love. So, and so when my wife and I started dating, my wife's Brazilian um, and her mom moved to the U.S. Uh, when she was young, got remarried and married the man she's with today. Um, and they both lived in Alabama, in South Carolina, and back to Alabama, where they are now and due to where they live, due to how life looks around them. A guy like me, I'm black for those who aren't looking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> guy like me wasn't necessarily what they had anticipated. And so they were not for our relationship. And that caused a lot of issues, a lot of ups and downs. Things got for both her and I, between her parents and between each other, between all of it, it just was about two and a half, three years. At one point I just broke up with her because I was so beaten. I just was like, There's just, this is just never gonna happen. Like I can't get her parents to like me. And the, she moved to LA and I was like, she's gonna find some other guy, lighter skinned, uh, and he's gonna be the perfect thing uh, for the family. I was like, I know I'm a good dude, but there's going to be another dude and he's just a little lighter skin who's the exact same version of me and he's going to be perfect <laughs> for everyone. So I was like, I give up. I eventually called her back. We got back together after around six, seven months. I was like, nah, I was dumb. I need you. Um, and so I called her back, came out to LA, won her back. Eventually was like, hey, you know, I was in DC um, at the time, but I was like, while well, she was still in LA and I was like, I got posted to this girl. Been through so much. I know she's it for me. You know, I was like, I'm, this is, this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life. With. So I call her and I buy the ring. I call her up. We had already kind of been talking about the idea of what happens if I were going to impose her. So I was making a joke on the phone and I go, yo, you know, that day I call your parents, I call them up and I'm going to be like, Hey, can I have, you know, uh, your daughter's hand in marriage? I was like, they're going to freak out. You know, that was like, they're going to lose their minds completely. Uh, and she was like, don't say that. And I was like, dude, I'm judging off the last 24 hours. Didn't you just get into an argument with your parents about something small? Like, I was like, if that was a small thing, this is a black thing. It's a different, and I was like, it's just going to be worse. Uh, and she was just like, <laughs> <Black thing>. she, <laughs> so I was like, this is different. And she was just like, don't do that. And out of nowhere, she to this day is like, I don't know where that came from. She said, you never know what God can do in 24 hours. And I was like, okay. Uh, <laughs> and 24 hours later, I'm like working at a coffee shop at the time, trying to get a full-time job so I can be like the man. Uh, so that I can, honestly, I was like, maybe I can, when I call them up, if I have a full-time job, then they'll accept. Everything in my mind was like, what can I do to prove that I'm worthy? And I get a call from her and she's bawling her eyes out, like hysterical crying, like can't speak. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, what's going on? You good? And she's like, my uh, mom just called out of nowhere and just said, hey, we're sorry for everything we've done to you and Ben. I know you guys are back together. Just want to let you know that we're sorry. We love you guys. If you guys were ever to get married, we want you to know we'd pay for the wedding. And I'm like, what the? <laughs> like, nah, this is a joke. So then I go and I talk to, like they hit, they text me same day um, and they go, hey, we'd love to we'd love to have a conversation with you. And I was like, oh, okay. But this is all theoretical. When we have this conversation, it's going to go bad. Like, that's what I'm thinking in my head. I'm like, they think theoretically I could want to marry her, but I already have a ring. This is happening. <laughs> I was like, this is happening in three weeks. Uh, I was like, okay, okay. How do I do this? How do I do this? And I am on the phone with them. They're talking to me. And they're like, if you ever want to marry our daughter, we just want to let you know that we would love that. You are a good man. And I was like, all right. Um, Well, I'm actually planning on proposing to her. 
um, in three weeks after the ring on November 22nd. They go, could we be there? And I'm like, what? And I like kind of just stop and I'm like, yeah. And so the photo of Yaz and me proposing to her, I still don't remember what I said. I don't think I said anything. I don't think anything happened because when she got upstairs and she was on this rooftop and we had all these balloons and our like everything like saying marry me she got up to the rooftop her mom popped out behind the balloon shoot i'm about to cry uh her mom pops out behind the balloon and she says and all i hear is my wife say um is that my mom and she says she says is that my mom and she just loses it just starts crying and i'm like what the heck <laughs> Like, I'm freaking out. I'm like, I did the greatest proposal in the world. Um, <laughs> and I'm just like, how did this happen? How did we get to this place where, you know, I didn't, I couldn't have done anything different. You know, there was moments in between that I look back and I go, oh, we should have been kinder. We shouldn't have sent those texts that were really rude and hurt each other and hurt her parents or hurt anybody else in the process. But when we kind of let go, and this is the message no one wants to hear on racial reconciliation. Like, this is stupid. Like, everyone would be like, nah, dude, like, we got to do some stuff. And I'm like, I'm not saying don't do anything. I, me and her, the doing was staying together. What do you mean? Of course, there was something to do. If we hadn't stayed together, none of this happens. So there is a doing that happened. We stayed together against all odds, against everything else that was coming up against each other. Even when we broke up, we came back together. Because we're like, this has got to happen, irregardless of whether or not people love us, hate us. That's what you do, is you stay with it. But no amount of yelling, no amount of being rude, no amount of arguing, no amount of, you know, tearing them down benefited us at all in the end. The only thing that benefited us in that moment, like the only thing, was this incredible God moment where all of a sudden... 24 hours later everything's good now they're just in-laws now we have like in-law problems and stuff and i'm like uh like normal things where you're like ah those are my in-laws we'll have normal things and even then like they're incredible i love them and i know with that same ferocious passion they had that they've now moved and transmuted out towards not me being with them they will I say this not in a, like a legally binding way, but they would kill somebody for my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, to clarify, like, there is no uh, intent of homicide. In there's this no intent of actual killing, but they love me and they love my daughter with that same passion. That's all I could ask for. So I'm like, if other people are like, oh, I'd still hold on. I'd still hold a grudge. I'm like, nah, dude, I want those guys on my side. Something happens to my daughter. I want those guys on my team they are on my team now i can wipe everything else away and say hey we're good because now who just joined the team are people who are passionate who care who really really believe they might have believed the wrong thing but they've now switched and now they take that same passion that same care towards hey what'd you say about my daughter what'd you say about my granddaughter what'd you say about my my son-in-law now it's like now i got the people on my team who are like nah we'll we will shut down anything that comes against our son-in-law who looks drastically different than us, but is part of us. So I'm like, that's the racial reconciliation story. That's like not necessarily always talked about, not always praised, but it's one of those things for me that it's like, I find it beautiful, man. And where there's one, there can be many. 
Um, and so I just really, really believe that their success leaves clues, man. There's something there. And we keep dissecting it. Maybe we can figure out how to replicate that in a larger form and reconcile racial relationships. Dude, that's that's amazing. And also, I just want to highlight what you just said. Recon reconciliation and the process of reconciling with whatever looks different for every single person. We need yeah. more nuances, nuances, and nuances. That's why we do long-form conversations, because I think the essence of life is the nuances. Man, what a freaking amazing story. And you're exactly right. It's not just luck. It's not just serendipity it's not just chance it's you've done the hardest part which is the commitment of endurance in a very very a tumultuous relationship because of the racial components because of different environments as you said we are the byproduct of our environments not necessarily who we are and of course like alabama north i mean of course those are very particular areas but then after you did the doing it was a being it's like be do have you need all three of them. You cannot just be, be being. We see all these hippies and all these really, really enlightened folks, and they are so open. They're so amazing people, and they have this love for all mindset, the philosophy of oneness. But then it's like their plane took off, but it never landed because they only remember the being part. They forgot about the meat suit, the human aspect of human being. You need both. Likewise, you cannot just do, 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 do. That's external. That's you're attaching your worthiness to doing, to productivity, which is capitalistic America does it so well, is you're only worthy if you're producing. Never forget that. And we need to unlearn that. At the same time, you also need to be. You have to be with it to truly receive the lessons as you have. But that is a miracle. And I really, really hope that people can take a moment and just sip on that story because it is so deep the intricacies the emotionality just seeing you tearing up almost brought a tear to my eyes too you know and it's so with that i just want to take a slight pivot into your family aspect your own family which is your child yeah what does fatherhood mean to you and this is a personal curiosity did you cry when you first held your daughter in your arms no not at all <laughs> um, i did not cry mainly because uh, things were not going well in the hospital um, and when my wife was giving birth and so it was like an emergency c-section my daughter came out with a fever kind of going into this weird like shock on the table one day I'll tell her the story and we'll laugh but when I tell I looked at my daughter I'm like dude we just met <laughs> the girl over there <laughs> the girl sitting over there is dying like what am I supposed to do so it was this moment and the doctors weren't helping. They, I guess they've seen everything. So they're playing Selena Gomez in the, the operating room. They're playing, I needed to lose you to love me, to love, to love. And I'm sitting there like, I don't need to lose nobody. Why is this song playing right now? And why are you guys dancing around to Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez when we could be over here saving my daughter and my wife's life? So it wasn't a great moment for me. So no, I did not cry, but I've cried a lot since for sure but I didn't cry in the moment. And I can't wait to tell her that story and her just be like, I'll probably tell that at like a future wedding or something. Now, Father for me is everything. Uh, I, if anything, I've had to teach myself to be a better husband for sure. You know, like I've had to, but since I was a kid, I always wanted to be a dad. I just always wanted to be a dad because I had a really good dad. I still have a really good dad. There was a moment when I was a kid that I remember 
just crazy. I'm laying in bed in the bunk bed. My dad would go to the church almost at the, every Tuesday morning at like 4.35 a.m. and go pray in the church. And I would like sneak with him a couple of times. I'd hop out of the bunk bed. Be like, Come on, can I go? He would pray and I would be like, God, <laughs> just, <laughs> I'd be asleep in a pew, man. Uh, like, But I just wanted to be with my dad. But I remember one moment uh, I'm laying in the bunk bed and I hear my dad's keys jingling outside the door. And I just remember like praying to God and saying, it's not fair. It's not fair that you gave me a dad who's a secretly an angel, but you plan on taking him away from me because angels can't stay on earth forever. I thought my dad was absolutely perfect. And my mom, every time I tell the story, my mom's always like, oh, okay, but I was a shit mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, nah, that's not it. It's just like, you know, just things were different. I talked to my mom more than I talked to my dad. I share more with my mom than I do my dad, actually. But there's, with my dad, it was just like, I never saw him raise his voice unless it was like at me, like, cause I was doing some stupid thing. And it was even then it was never really out of anger. It was always like, Hey, we don't do this. Dude, I got the best spankings in the world. I'd get spanked. I'd get told, this is why we're going to have this. Okay. Spank, 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 spank. Me crying my eyes out. Come on. Hey, do we know why this happened? I want to make sure this doesn't happen again. I need you to do. Yes, sir. Most people hate spankings because it's like, you're just walking up to a kid and just hitting them and saying, don't do that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> affirming, like, I do this, I get smacked. Me, it was like, talk, this, talk. And then by the time I got old enough, where the hitting just didn't even matter, the spanking didn't matter, it was still talk, take this away from you. You're grounded, talk. You know, it was like very much like we always had these good, like, it was very composed. It was very calm. It was very like, that and I just always was like really admired how my dad was and how strong he was like and I watched my dad go through some stuff and always stay so composed by the time when I started working on the gym in high school or in high school in college I remember being in college like lifting and there'd be nights where the only way I could lift was I'd be like if you want to be literally I would tell myself this like if you want to be a good dad you want to be a strong dad one day one day you're going to be going through some crap. Who says you'll be able to do the things that you said you're going to be able to do for your family if you can't lift this weight? That's what I'm telling myself in my brain because it was like, you go to the gym because if you want to be able to be a good dad, you'll be able to, you need to be able to handle these situations. You need to be able to stay composed. You need to be able to be that type of guy. But if you can't do this, if you can't show up here in the gym, you're not going to be able to do it then. But for years, that's kind of how I was because I was just kept thinking of like, my dad, you know, almost dying in a, a train car fire and then preaching the same weekend. My dad going through this crazy car accident, but believing God was going to give them a car. My dad and getting someone randomly giving them a car. And he just stayed consistent. He came there to build this church. He should could have left. He could have gone somewhere else and got a different job. We were doing really well in Cayman. Like everything was fine, but he was like, I'm called here. I'm supposed to stay here called here i'm supposed to stay here we're gonna figure it out fatherhood for me is like it is completely focused on just kind of like emulating some of those attributes i saw my own dad my grandpa i saw some great men be great men and i always wanted to just be that i just want to be the guy who my daughter's like i can count on him he loves me i've seen unconditional love my whole life i can try i can step out that's all i want yeah it sounds like you come from a lineage of great men and dude, gray men are so freaking scarce in 2022. Man, like gray men are scarce. Gray men is a dying breed. 
and I really respect how the mannerism, your attitude, how you describe your father, your grandfather, your uncle, because I feel like a lot of people now are ashamed of where they came from, are ashamed of their tribe, are ashamed of their lineage yeah. because of cultural assimilations and different systematic issues, whatnot. But I love you're so grounded and I could see how great your father is and your mother just from you because you are the embodiment yeah. of their parenting, of their philosophy, of their views. And I do, Ben, I love the way you view the world. You're so intentional and you have this very constructive way of trying to discern whenever you can and dissect whenever you can and to integrate those yeah. distilled insights. Um, so on that end, I have a question for you. I know that we talked about the, the drive I had with the workout, you know, the military, the whole thing was because I used to be chubby, same thing. Mm -hmm. There's always that little insufficiency that's driving us forward. But then of yeah. course you unlearn that you get to know yourself better. And then you take away the strength from that attribute because it's not all yeah. bad. At the same time, you also talked about, because you always were called dumb, all these false labeling that gave you this motivation. And right now, yeah. a lot of your success, I don't find success as financially. I define success as, are you happy? Are you ambitious? Are you showing up to your, the people you love? And are you doing something that you love? You check all those boxes. So I know you and I, we both read Will Smith's book, Will Smith yeah. with Mark Manson. And just for the listeners, this was pre-slap era. We, I bought the book and I finished the book before the slap incident. So this is not yes. related to the slap. The week before the slap, I finished the book. <laughs> yes. So ah. this was all pre-slap, <laughs> all, all pre making known to the listeners. But yeah, Will yeah. Smith and Mark Manson talk about life is like school, but the opposite. In school, yeah. they give you the lessons and you prepare for the test. In life, they give you the test and then it's our individual responsibility to derive the lessons so we can avoid eating the same shit next time and just get better at dealing with the currents of life. So it's very different how school system works and how life works. I met many creatives and artists and musicians like yourself, and they actually all struggled in school, yet they're thriving in the container of life. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? You ever thought about why that is? Why I'm thriving in the container of life versus why I didn't thrive in school. Mm -hmm. And why do you think that creatives tend to not thrive in this? I'm sure there's rigidity, but why do you think yeah. that stark contrast exists? There's a lot. And I think to that question, because I have some friends who did really well in school and they're doing solid and they're in their creatives, but they're not doing as well in the, their creative craft because the one thing that school taught them, even though they're really good at their craft. So they're really good at their craft, just like they'd be really good at school, but they're not really good at this journey of entrepreneurship, pursuing a dream, because it's not easily metric, it's not easily gradable. And so I think they struggle more than I do on this unknown world, not sure what's going to happen next versus they're like, really good at the craft, because it was A plus B equals C, practice these notes, practice this thing, practice these methods. Now I'm really good. Shouldn't I be famous? Uh, and it's like, <laughs> and I think that was the hardest thing going to music school too. It teaches you that for basically every aspect of your life i've had a lot of uncertainty in a lot of areas of my life my dad and parents living in that basement that same basement my parents were living in was the basement i learned how to play soccer and it had those exponential results in my life because there's been uncertainty i've been able to see crazy results a lot and what i've told my wife is i said she's she's like i talked to her and i'm like hey financially we're gonna be way good because like i have some financial goals some things that i've like spoken things that i want uh our family to be at and she's like 
our daughter's gonna grow up a lot different than us because she's like i'm from brazil what are we gonna do like when she gets older what if we do have all this money and i was like not about the money it's about what we do with that money for me it's like that testing being okay to be so surrendered and detached to there's just units of men measurement and i don't i don't care about the dollars i want to test the waters i want to I like this uncertainty now. Now I like this stance. You know, I like, there's a story that uh, in the Bible that's one of my favorite stories and it's Elijah and the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Baal are like, our God's going to bring down fire and he does it. And then Elijah comes together and goes, my God's going to bring down fire, but let's put some water around the altar. Okay, actually do it again. Just to really press into the fact that like his God was going to show up and you weren't going to be able to deny it. But also... He made it really hard, quote unquote, hard on God. But to everybody else looking around, they're going, dude, you're going to, they're going to kill you if this fire doesn't come down. So other people would say, oh, that's a gamble, Ben. Don't live like that life in a gamble. I'm like, it's not a gamble when you're reliant, when it's trust, when it's faith. You know, it, it's, it's not a gamble. It's just like, I might not happen the way I think it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. I have to have the faith. And so I'm okay with that. And most people, because it doesn't happen the way they wanted it to happen or when they want it to happen, now it's everything's cut out. It's completely thrown out in the garbage, uh, especially when you're living your life on that school system. It doesn't happen the way you thought it was going to happen in the way that it was set out in the exact steps. Then it must not work. And it's like the school of life just doesn't work that way. It happens in all these different synchronistic events and these weird things. And you learn that you get the test first and then you get the lesson. And now you have... Now you've gained. So I've had to teach my whole mindset. Bible says, and this is for anyone who doesn't believe in the Bible, I'll say this. Like I use quote the Bible a lot, but not just because I believe in it. You could wisdom literature. I've heard people who aren't Christians they quote the Bible and they're like, oh, it's wisdom literature to them. I'm like, dude, just go read it. Like I don't if you don't want to believe what I believe, I don't care. But read those stories and read the things. Like you can take a lot of philosophical wisdom. Book of James talks about says. Uh, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, because it's then that you develop perseverance. And with perseverance, once builds up, makes you perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. And for me, for a lot, a lot of part of my life, not having money, I always kept going to that emotion of lack. Always felt like I was lacking. But now I can look and see that verse and I go, I get it now. Even when I'm hit, even when I fail, I'm abundant because I just gained. So now I like literally to put this practical, someone told me these things about myself that I wouldn't be this artist and I was going to be the artist that no one knew about in like 10 years, but like I was going to be involved with some of the biggest artists in the world, but like no one's going to know who I was. Like, I'm just that kind of guy. Like, I'm not going to be famous, but like some people will know, you know, and they were kind of like insulting me, but they're like, yeah, but you'll be, you're all, you're a good guy, dude. You'll be in all those rooms. I went for a drive afterwards, imagined myself being on Breakfast Club or here, this is the first podcast I'm on, but I imagine myself on that drive, imagining Breakfast Club and telling that story of like, oh, someone told me that I, this song was never gonna be, oh, this person told me that they didn't like that. Oh, this person told me that. You just gave me something. You gave me fuel, you gave me ammunition, you gave me a story. The basement was a story. I was always being given something. So now I, anytime, things are happening that are bad, what they're hurricane that ripped off the roof of my, you know, threw me out of my own country and I had to move to the US. I almost died at one point in that whole thing. My dad's literally saved my life. I have stories, which means that I was given something. 
And I think if we can help people understand you are always being given something, now I'm becoming perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. Now I can be joyful all the time because why not say happy, but joy. Like, ah, oh, man, this is, that might be tough, but phew, the story, the story I have, the story of my wife's family, I gained. You can't tell me, I mean, I lost. So now I'm trying to, I just try to switch up and play that, man. And I think for me, it doesn't make sense. The school teaches you that you're gaining. It makes you feel like you got a C minus. School has taught you, hey, you got that C minus. But remember how I showed you every single thing that you got wrong and why you got it wrong? Now you've gained. Let's retry. The next time I try, I'm one step closer. And that's a hard lesson to learn. But I think at this point in my life, I'm finally like embracing and I think the two ubiquitous ingredients across any form or slices of success is humility and curiosity. I had this giant epiphany last year that, oh, to be curious, you have to be humble. Because without being humble, you don't have the desire to be curious to ask a question. For me yep. to ask you a question, Ben, that means internally I must accept that you have something to say that I want to listen. And yep. I like to urge, take this moment for all the listeners listening, just take a moment and pause and reflect. When was the last time you asked a question to someone that's maybe younger than you are, or maybe you self-perceive as less important or prestigious, or you air quote, respect less. Think about why do I not want to ask that person questions? Oh, I don't think they have anything to say, but then you have to check that metacognitively because everyone has something to say. Like the Bible says, right? Be empty and just let God flow through you. Once yeah. again, it sounds simple, but that is hard AF. Right? I'm still grappling so with that. Hard. Just let yeah. God flow through me. Just be the vehicle yeah. for that. But speaking of embracing and embodiment, we're definitely coming towards the end of the episode. I want you to hit you up with the two signature questions that we conclude the episode with. Yeah, cool. As you talked about one for many, one for all, and you talked about there are many different lanes of truth lanes of experiences, lanes of pathways based on who you are, where you came from, what your visions are, X, Y, and Z. To everyone that's listening to this amazingly insightful conversation with you, Ben, and they're all grappling with different circumstances, different pressure, different internal chatter, external chatter. They don't really believe in self. Maybe they don't have the supportive system that you have. Maybe they don't have a tribe to help ground them the way we have because I have an amazing tribe behind me as well. So to those people who need this voice, what sort of mentorship advice and program would you create to tell these younger folks, older folks who want to make something for themselves like you live out the vision they have, but nobody believes yeah. in them. What would you say? I have written on my phone. Part of my mission in life is to dream, try and to pray and to inspire others to dream, try and to pray. I really believe that it's when we dream that we unlock our imagination and limitless possibilities that God created in us to be. But it's when we try that we begin to step out and have to trust. It's when we begin to trust that we find ourselves happy. And I believe that's what we were created to do. Um, and I believe when you're doing that in any avenue, you're gonna find yourself in this fun spot where you're like, okay, okay, okay. All right, but I'm moving forward. Again, the analogy of the bowling with the gutters up or the bumpers up. Let down your pride, man. Bowl with the bumpers up. Do you want a gutter ball and hit nothing or you want to get one? It's really easy to figure out why you why you were going that way and going right 
but I don't got time to go gutter ball. I got to hit one. I got to hit at least one. I can't gutter this thing, man. So let's put up some bumpers in our lives, some, some tools. Let's, let's meditate. Let's read, let's pray. Let's get some good people around us. Let's get groups. Let's start group text, dreamers, to doers, mastermind. Let's do those things. Let's try freaking put ourselves out there. Let's try and set that up. Cause if I can get one, all right, okay. I know I'm on the right path to anybody who's in that. My big thing would be to dream, try and pray. Whether that's you praying to you know, my God, you want to talk to the universe. You want, I don't care. Like, I, I just don't care. I want you to dream, try and pray. I want you to put yourself out there. I want you to talk to God. I want you to fail. I want you to talk again. This is why I can't quit. It's the biggest reason why I can't quit music. And I told someone that the other day, they asked me, I said, dude, music is just the chisel God has given me. That's the tool that he's using to chisel the shit out of me. <laughs> just it man it's not i love music but this journey i've been on oh the moment music is less than me being able to learn or gain anything from this journey i'll stop and do something i mean that sincerely if the moment it's not about me learning and discovering and trying and picking out the oh synchronicity like last night me i have this little creed that i say now before i do shows and when i wake up in the morning that like a mentor of mine, you know, I like asked for mentorship and I got this mentor in my life. And then he gave me this, what he does for a creed and I created my own creed and in it, I say like, I'm unlimited, I'm abundant, I'm creative and I'm ready to inspire all those I encountered today. And I say it before shows and I forget sometimes that what I'm, when I'm saying it, that I want someone to come afterwards and use the word inspire to me, to remind me. And someone came up to me last night crying their eyes out at the show and specifically said, you, you inspired me so much. And I went, ah, I did what I came here to do. I actually failed on my strategic marketing. I didn't talk much about my new single. I didn't get that barely plugged my social media handles. I didn't get that many followers, all these different things. I was like, ah, I failed on those things. Like I should have been a little smarter about my marketing plan for this new single I have coming up in three days, but man, did one thing right and I came here to, I did what I came here to do I put myself out there told my story of how insecure I was how scared I was in hopes that one person would be inspired you know now I what did I do I analyzed my mistakes next time bro slow down talk about your say your stuff you have a show you have these things you have a new single coming out talk about it slow down a little bit analyze your mistakes next time I come back and I play the next show that won't happen but I'm getting the right foundation right. And I'm getting the right thing that I came here to do right. You know, but you gotta put yourself out there. You gotta try, you gotta freaking try. That's when you begin to learn. That's when you begin to trust. That's when you begin to like, life gets, starts to get exciting because you're putting yourself out there. Dream, do, pray. That sounds like the name of your next album or something, mm. you know? So. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's an amazing response. So the last question for you to uh, conclude this amazing, amazing, amazingly nuanced and insightful interview and conversation with you is the signature discover more question. And also I sensed a lot of the discover more ethos in your story. So, you know, coincidence, I think not with the last question is discover more. It's twofold. Part A, I like to challenge you with the ethos of discovering more, seeking discomfort because discovering more podcasts is a sanctuary for seekers of curiosity and discomfort. I like to challenge you to share this on the podcast, uh, whether it's professional life, personal life, interpersonal life, 
What's an area in your life or subject or a topic that you feel inspired to discover more about after this encompassing three-hour conversation? And the second layer is what's an area in the respective listeners' lives you'd like to challenge to discover more about after hearing this inspirational conversation? The respective listener, what do I want to discover more about them as well? Or do I want them to discover? It's about you. What do you want to discover about yourself? And then what do you want the listeners to discover about themselves? Yeah, I think from this conversation, what I'd want to discover more about myself is that relationship between when you brought it up, I was like, oh, shoot, that relationship between how the team, human psychology, the teamwork, how is that actually playing a deep part into my process? you know, and understanding how much of when I was a kid and understanding how I play soccer and how that biggest year of my life in soccer and the last year I ever played competitively that had those incredible results. How much does that play into incredible results in this process and sustaining a strong career, a strong support fan base, strong family? How is this going to actually play into and like kind of really discover more about I hate, I've hated the buzzword leadership. So I've kind of not read a single book about leadership in the last like three, four years. But now I'm like, I want to pick those books back up. Cause I was always like, I'm not leading it, but doing music. But now I'm like, ah, it's not about, am I leading anyone? Like, do I have a team I'm managing maybe? Or so that's what I kept thinking. I was like, I don't really do that. And when I start a business again, then I'll pick those books up. That's what I kept saying to myself. But I realized that like leadership within the bounds of a dance between people in the studio, leading the moment, leading the intention, bringing the intention, intentionality. There's something to that, that I kind of want to study a little more and discover more about. It's like the intentionality of process that has to do with the team and us getting to a collective goal. There's something there. Oh, so I definitely am like really interested in that. And I didn't see those two points connecting till you said it. And I'm like, oh shoot. And for the listeners, I would just hope that like, I told somebody this the other day and the last thing I'll, I'll say is like, I was like, I was trying to give on TikTok, I gave like a little, it's like, this is what manifestation is to me. It's me telling you, to, I'm going to take a, I'm going to go straight and then I'm going to take a right. In the city, that means I could go straight. I can go for a walk. A friend could pull up on me. They could start talking to me. I could say, ah, I forgot something at home real quick. I might turn around. Oh, uh, there's an orange theory here. Maybe I want to stop in and get to work. Oh, I should grab something at Alchemist at the coffee shop actually I, I should run over here and uh, there's a homeless guy and i saw somebody the other day pushing this homeless guy in his uh, wheelchair i should i should go help him out okay now i made it to the right i made it there maybe later than i wanted to i made it there at a different point i made it there maybe different clothes i mean maybe i turned back around and put different shoes on like at in the house and then went back out and then took the right maybe whatever but when I show up, you're going to be like, oh, Ben, you did what you said you're going to do. And someone was like, no, that's like not manifestation because manifestation is woo-woo. It is spiritual. It is. It's both. And you can only understand that tension of it's both when you understand who you were created to be, your created order. So I believe I'm a created being by God. I believe there was intricate intentionality within me by God that there's practical value in me saying, saying I'm going to go do something and take a right. Because you know, in clinical science, there's something going on between me saying something and the hormones and the things that are going on in my brain that come out when I say I'm going to do something that when I say, when I say something multiple times, maybe my heart rate gets elevated to a certain degree, 
allows me to focus in and now I'm able to go do the meet the challenge of what I've said. There's a beautiful physical, actual, there's meaning to the physical that's happening. Something very physical happens. There's science. But the fact that it's happening is spiritual. The fact that it's that intentional is what's so crazy to me. As I'm learning about how we humans achieve goals and people, Huberman, Andrew Huberman in a podcast talking about my heart rate goes elevated at a certain place and my head bows and then I'm able to go and I'm able to meet this when I think about a place of, oh, what happens if I don't achieve this? And then if I can do that as well as visualize the end goal in mind, that's how I'm able to achieve goals on a more regular, more consistent basis. But it's because my heart rate pumps blood at this, my this, my blood pressure happens here. And I'm sitting there like in awe not in awe of like just the science and like saying, well, the science means negates the God. I'm like, dude, do you understand how intentional and how incredible the design of humans has to be? If that's what's happening for us to achieve a goal, there has to be a God. And so for me, it's like, it's both. And so it is the manif manifestation is the, I'm going to go straight and take a right all the journey along the way but the fact that it's even happening it's so intricate and so complex at the same time and that's the beauty of it so anyone listening to this i'd want them to go on a journey and try to discover more about how we as humans who were we created to be that's what i'm fascinated with that's what music is keeping me going on is i'm fascinated with who was i created to be how is this music journey showing me more of that so I can give that to my daughter who might do something different, but they might come with the same understanding of who they were created to be to be able to achieve beautiful results in their life that affect them, but also affect everyone. Beautifully said, Ben. And I'm not a quantum physicist. I'm too dumb for this, but there is scientific backing of called the quantum entanglement for anyone that's interested yeah. in it. There's a lot of skepticism about law of attractions, law of manifestations. They're not actual natural law per se. But at least on a clinical perspective, there are physiological and emotional connections to optimality in terms of physiological response when you feel resonated, the frequencies and the endorphins. This is not a base for to me to go too nerdy in the uh, neurobiological aspect to that, but to people who are maybe subconsciously resisting to what Ben shared and the ethos and what the insight he's really trying to encourage people to think more about and discover more about. I would urge you to do more research on your own. At the end of the day, we're just two individuals yeah. who have something to share based on our collective and respective journeys. But if yeah. you're interested, just look up quantum entanglement and it will tell you about how the matter is just a perception. And when you perceive it, it zap into existence, which is yeah. the manifestation aspect. But yeah, Ben, this has been an awesome conversations and there's nothing else for me to do but to roll out the red carpet for you. Um, tell the people how they could connect with you on social, offline, and to see if there's yeah. any exciting projects on the horizon. I have Lost Controls, my single that is coming out, depending on when this comes out. Uh, Lost Control probably will obviously be out. It comes out in three days, but that single will be out. Uh, and I'm excited for that. That is part of a project that I really, a journey I'll be on on the next year and a half. But the first part of this EP um, will be called Black Boys on the Radio, and it'll feature Lost Control and Psycho as well as some other songs like um, Black Witch on the Radio, Hands Up, Don't Shoot, Finish the Job. And that'll be kind of part one. Uh, and that'll be out um, on June 14th, later this year. And so uh, my goal in this whole next year and a half process, as I roll out more songs that are part of this Black Witch on the Radio project, 
will be to kind of tell the story of me, race, learning how to dream, stepping out of my comfort zone, um, embracing my authentic story. Um, and so if they want to follow, if any of you guys want to follow, you can follow on um, Carter Benjamin, which is my uh, Instagram. Carter Benjamin 2 is my TikTok. And I have a lot of fun on TikTok because I had to put a lot of walls down because uh, it was like, this is uncomfortable. This is weird. Uh, and I'm like, I'm too old for this. Uh, and I didn't really like it. And then because I didn't like it, I had, I was so fascinated with my resistance to it that I kept trying it. And now I like enjoy it and I see and I've learned all of the reasons why I hated it. And some of them were good reasons. Some of them were just stupid. It's now it's a platform I actually use quite often. So. You can follow me there. And then obviously my name, uh, Benjamin Carter, follow, look up all the songs. Well, the catalogs will be anywhere you stream music, whether that's uh, Amazon. Let's shout out Amazon. They don't get love on music, but or Spotify, <laughs> Apple, any of those. Um, you'll be able to find uh, the full catalog of all these songs and projects over the next um, year and a half as I roll out you know, this story. Yeah, just to the listeners listening, if you have made it till this end, of course, much gratitude. But please check out Ben's music. And like I said, his music is so thought-provoking, but it's also like a breath of fresh air without neglecting and negating the grooviness of the music. The tempos, the rhythm, it's so catchy. And you will find yourself hemming to his song in no time. So hugely, hugely recommend to everyone to check him out. And Ben, lastly, I just want to say that prayer or the act of prayer transcends religion, organized religion, Mm -hmm. spirituality, you can pray to your ancestors. You can pray to your passing loved ones. but And there are a lot of psychological evidence empirically to support the power of chanting. That's another topic for another day. But yeah, to all the listeners, uh, I've had a tons of blast with this episode. Ben's an amazing guy, and I really appreciate generosity. And to everyone, if you're still listening, I really appreciate you for joining on the train of Discover More with myself and Benjamin Carter this week. And as always, hope to see you again next time at Discover More.